Welcome to episode 349 of Monster Kid Radio, the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I'm your writer, host, producer, Derek M. Cook. I want to welcome you to the show. I'm excited because I've got two old friends coming. You know, I say that every week. I'm excited because of this. I'm excited. The bottom line is there are very few things in life that make me as excited as talking about classic monster movies with my friends. And this week, I've got two friends joining me, Joshua Kennedy and Stephen D. Sullivan. We'll talk about them here in a second, but first, I want to talk a little bit about the music that you're hearing right now. We are opening and we'll be closing the show with the song, Hey! It's by the band Coast of Ghosts. It's from their EP, Typhoon Twist. Coast of Ghosts is a surf band in Germany, Constance, Germany, to be exact, and they can be found at coastofghosts.bandcamp.com. Com. They're also on Facebook and they're always looking for new gigs. So if you're interested in booking this cool little surf band out of Constance, Germany, drop them a line and let them know that you heard them here on Monster Kid Radio. They gave us permission to play their music here on the show, so go check them out. I think you'll dig all five tracks on their EP. Okay, this week on the show, like I said, Joshua Kennedy, Stephen D. Sullivan. You've heard them both here on the show in the past and you're going to hear them right now talking about the movie The Reptile. You see, Joshua is a huge Hammer Films fan. Stephen E. Sullivan, huge Hammer Films fan. Me, huge Hammer Films fan. I mean, I co-produced 1951 Down Place with Scott Morris. I love talking about Hammer Films, and apparently one podcast isn't enough for me to do it. I want to talk about it here. You know, the truth is that the style is a little different. 1951 Down Place is about, you know, the history and the technical. And, and while we do talk about our fandom a little bit, it gets a little bit more deep. What we do here on Monster Kid Radio is we talk about why we love these things, the, the real fandom of it. And we're going to talk about that. Now, both of these guys, they have some creative projects in the works right now. I'll be playing the promo for Stephen E. Sullivan's Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors. So you're going to hear a little bit about that. And of course, Steve and I will talk about it too. And then Joshua, my man, Joshua Kennedy is embarking on his most ambitious film project to date, House of the Gorgon. There's an Indiegogo campaign. There's a video that goes along with that. We're going to play that audio here in a little bit, too. Of course, we're going to talk with Joshua about that as well. We're going to talk a little bit about our times at Monster Bash as well. And you know what? Just because I can, I've got an interview that I did with Joshua Kennedy after they debut, after the premiere of Theseus and the Minotaur. Why don't we throw that into the mix, too? And hey, check this out. I have a recording with Veronica Carlson from Monster Bash, where we talked a little bit about, well... Her experience is working with people like Cushing and Lee and what she thought of Joshua's debut film there, Theseus and the Minotaur, which is out on DVD now from oldies.com. It's a lot to get to. So enough of the jibber jabber, Derek. Atom Ray. A motion picture shot full of thrills. 
based on scientific facts described in leading national magazines. You'll be hypnotized. You'll be terrorized. You'll be paralyzed. See a dead man come from beyond the grave. See Columbia Pictures startling... Creature with the Atom Brain. witnessing a biological chain reaction, a geometrical progression of deadly mass. It had started casually, insignificantly, as momentous events often do. Look there. Two points off the port bow. The giant behemoth, the fire-spitting monster predicted in the Bible, its core a mass of lethal radiation. Rising from the depths of time, its strength enormous, its gargantuan ferocity a threat to London, to the world itself. We must find a way of destroying this creature in one piece. Judging by the beast's size, I would say it was powerful enough to drive a battleship. Of course, its tremendous electric charge is what projects the radiation. That's what makes the creature so deadly. Well, have you any concrete suggestions? Yes. First, block off the Thames. Hi, my name's Veronica Carlson, and you are listening to Monster Kid Radio. One of the uh, highlights for Monster Bash was the world premiere of the Monster Bash exclusive, basically. Uh, Theseus <laughs> and the Minotaur, the latest film from Joshua Kennedy, good friend of the show, and he's sitting here right next to me. How was it debuting your film here? It was a dream come true, like I said in the intro. Uh different locations but this was the first time that the i could tell the audience was going to get all the references i mean a sea of monster kids uh is the perfect audience to be watching my films and veronica carlson showed up in the audience and that's a dream come true grew up with her movies and now she's sitting down watching a movie of mine that that's and yeah it was dream come true like i said how old are you i'm 22 you make me sick. <laughs> Accomplished filmmaker, distribution deal with, with a label, and the Hammer Girls know you by name. You, S-O. <laughs> you know, I have a, Veronica stops me, and she goes, so how's Martine doing? Like, as if we lived together. And she's like, <laughs> she's like, is Martine doing well? And I was like, well, Mrs. Kennedy, if we're going to refer to her, let's refer to her by her real name. Uh, <laughs> But she she uh, thought that I was in contact with her all the time. But anyway, sorry. So so it's that kind of relationship. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no comment. No comment. <laughs> uh, the the film is uh, over an hour long. It's your longest movie to date, and there's even some stuff that was missing. So what we saw here at the Bash is pretty much 
we're, we're, we're in the know. Nobody else is going to see this. Is that right? Uh, so far, yes. Um, I have my Texas premiere on July 18th, and the cast hasn't even seen it. So the cast is all excited. They're jealous that they couldn't be here. Um, but uh, we have a, an entire stop-motion sequence that's going to be added in with a giant turtle. And Ryan will be working on that. <laughs> Ryan is working on that right now if he knows what's good for him. Uh, that, that's Ryan Lingiel, who uh, has done a couple of shorts that have been shown here as well. You met him here, didn't you? I did meet him here. We were, uh, he was showing his uh, stop-motion movie, The Beast from a Zillion, years ago. And um, we met, and he said, whenever you need stop-motion for a movie, I was like, don't, don't tell me that, because now I'm going to have to make one. <laughs> How long was this one in the, in the works for you? This started... My friend Dan, my good friend Dan, his friend Bill, made a joke to him and said, I was watching Jason of the Argonauts last night, and Josh kind of looks like Todd Armstrong. And that started the seed. That was, I want to say that was last July. So it's almost, and then I started writing little things. We started filming February 19th and finished two weeks ago. Um, on and off, because, I mean, people have their day jobs and they're, so getting them on weekends and stuff. So, yeah. This is a, a, a departure for you, kind of. I mean, you've done... All your stuff's been period. All your stuff's been... Uh, I don't want to say retro or throwback, but very uh, specific to the, what you're homaging. And you've never really gone into the straight-up fantasy realm. How was that different for you, making this film versus, say, your Dracula film or any of the other movies? That's a great question. I get this had more leeway. Like, um just to try different things uh, I usually before the movie starts I have the cast sit down and I'll show them scenes from different stuff and I was just showing them all sorts I showed them Jason and the Argonauts Clash of the Titans Excalibur I showed them uh, which is one of my favorite movies um, and I steal a lot from it I steal a lot of Wagner from it um, Excalibur and then I showed them Flash Gordon scenes from Star Wars and it's just like you said it's much broader than just showing them the Quatermass experiment for the Vesuvius experiment or something like that. Uh, and it was, you have much more room to, to have fun and try different things, I think, or I, I did. It's also interesting because you can't have modern-day costumes, which is something that you are able to get away with some of, with some of your other uh, productions. So having your crew running around in togas, what was that like? Um, it was interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> It was more. It was more interesting trying not to get power lines in the shots and cars. Some of those scenes at the on, on, with the beach and the water in the back. You turn the camera around and there's a highway going by, and uh, that that was the most difficult part. Um, the togas were fun. The to they they just could slip that over modern clothes. And there's the wind kicks up and you can see them wearing cargo shorts and stuff. And it's like, Argh! but hey, low budget filmmaking. What do you expect? I wasn't going to call you out on that, but I was going to say Theseus had some pretty cool shorts. You, you can take those out, though. This was the exclusive. You can change that, right? Yeah. In 20 years, I could be like George Lucas and like add CGI and, you know, edit out the, the underwear that he's wearing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, spe the Theseus special editions. Yeah. <laughs> Replace all of Ryan's hard work with a, yeah, like yeah. a 15 minutes of computer work. The music, I was worried, maybe that's the worst way to put it, but when you released the trailer, it used music from Clash of the Titans. Yes. And I didn't know if that was going to happen with the film itself because your Dracula film uses copyrighted music, which means you can't sell it. Yes. And I wanted people to be able to buy this. Where did you find your music for this? Um, this wonderful site called, called Pond5.com. It has a bunch of music library stuff and uh, public domain Wagner music, which is always a godsend because Wagner can uh, 
can do all of my music. I mean, I've used them a lot, and Excalibur uses them a lot. So, uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, it's all I have the rights to all the music. So, it'll be on DVD eventually. You've got a standing deal with Alpha Video. I'm assuming that's who you're going to go through on the with this. Was there anything that you shot that you couldn't use that might turn up as like a I don't know behind the scenes, a blooper, an extended scene, anything like that that might turn up? There are probably hours of bloopers of us messing up lines of us uh just the comments between all the guys in the togas i mean because it's literally a bus full of i mean a bus a truck full of guys going out to the desert in togas with holding swords and the amount of the one-liners going back and forth are different so i i want to cut together a blooper reel i really enjoyed it uh i think you have a lot to be proud of and i, I can't remember if i said that on mic or not i know i said it to you in person uh, at least beforehand I'm excited for this to do well. Uh, you've got a premiere coming up in Texas, which will probably have already happened by the time this goes out. But not even your cast has seen it. Who has your family seen it? No one's seen it at all. And usually, I, I show it to my sister. My sister is the, the first one to see. My cat has seen it. I will say, my cat has seen it. She's watched the rough cut and got really absorbed into it. Uh, my sister is named Cat Kathleen, but my <laughs> my cat Merlin did sit and watch the rough cut, and she was invested in it. But uh, usually my sister Kathleen sits and watches with me and gives me notes uh, the night before, but she couldn't do it this time. So literally no one has, has seen this. Is this the first time you've done a movie in a long time without her involvement? Yes. She was in New York while I was back home. So, yeah. How was that? Was it different to not have her around on set? Yeah, she's, she's my my buddy in crime I mean she she's she was in my movies when I was five years old I'd drag her in to play the, the woman who gets bit by Dracula or something and play it's so cute she's two years younger so when I was five she was three running around with blood on her neck and uh, so she's always been there she knows how I tick so it was yes it was very interesting not to have her on set I mentioned your family because your family have always been involved in your projects in one way or another. And your father really kind of stole the show in a lot of this. How is it directing your parents? It's interesting. How should I phrase this? Um, they're so humble. They go, they think that they're the worst actors ever. And they're like, don't worry if you need to cut us out. That's totally fine. And I was like, no, I think you, you guys are fine. Um, and... Yeah, I don't know if that has sense. It's it's the blast, and I'm extremely blessed to have them in. And Dad again stole the show. I wrote it for him to, to steal the show, and I think I think he did. Someone said he sounded like Olivier. I was like, okay, that might be pushing it, but. Uh, <laughs> so your dad. I mean, your mother sent it to briefly, but she also did some of the artwork and the titles. Yes, she um, did the the Jason and the Argonauts main titles. And she painted the, the labyrinth. I wanted that Bride of the Monster painted brick look. And she did all the, the giant styrofoam boards. My, my brain just kind of slammed into itself <laughs> because we're talking Jason and the Argonauts. You know, yeah, we're talking yeah. about Harryhausen influences. I wanted Bride of the Monster. Yeah. What? How, how does that work? It's just a, a blender in my mind of all these different things. Uh, I have to remember what was the movie. And they're like, did you just reference... And it was like some highbrow movie. Casablanca. Um, I can't remember what the reference was. He's like, did you just reference Casablanca? I was like, I might have. And uh, yeah, it's just a blender of all these different movie references. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got the Harry Osmond, we've got the Ed Wood. What's something that you think people might have missed in this screening, like a reference that you just really hoped that we would have got? Or is there anything? You think everybody got it? I think I think this was a very receptive crowd and people coming up and catching the references to the blind man and Jason Patrick Troughton and 
Jason and the Argonauts. And although there was one guy in the back that started clapping, there I recreate a line from Hound of the Baskervilles, where he's like, "Let loose the bird!" And I the shots exactly the same, the lightning's the same. And there's one guy in the back. It's like, ah. I was like, okay, there's one guy who caught Hound of the Baskervilles. Uh, you had your friend Dan Day do the narration. Yes. So I have a question for you myself. How do you get an award-winning, long-time podcaster uh, involved in one of your movies? I'm just asking for a friend. Um, he just needs to ask that he's, uh, that he's interested. I mean, not that he hasn't been involved before. I, I, you know, I'm, just, I'm just wondering. I'll, I'll let him know when I get back. Yes. You know, okay, him. good, 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 yeah. <laughs> I love the references. I love the Conan reference, you know, the, yes. the very end, which, man, it's just, there's a lot going on here. I love the way your brain works. You're directing, or you've got the premiere, you've got uh, a production of Frankenstein coming up, and maybe another movie. Uh, there's a few ideas percolating. Um, I always joke that I want to do Richard III, the Shakespeare movie. Um, that's my go-to. It's like, yeah, I'm doing Richard III. Um, but, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Whatever idea is going to... It's like that one guy who's just brought up Todd Armstrong looked like me. I was like, okay, let's do a Theseus movie. Um, or someone said, my friend Tim Durbin, who was just on your show. Yeah. yeah. He sent me a message one time. He's like, you really need to do a Sherlock Holmes movie. You'd be great. And I was like, oh, God, now we need to do a Sherlock Holmes movie. So it's whatever I'm interested at the time. I'll be racking my brains to figure out what I should recommend you do next so that I can, <laughs> I can plant the seed so yes. I can see you do something. But uh, the Bash treated you pretty good. Bash is heaven on earth. Yeah, I can't recommend it enough if you haven't gone. I'm sad that it's over, man. It's, it's, it's so depressing right now. Well, not too depressing. Veronica's right over there. Is she? Oh, well, I'm leaving. No. <laughs> Horrors of Spider Island. Eight beautiful girls and one lone man struggling for survival. With death, sudden, violent, and horrible lurking in the shadows. Horrors of Spider Island. Out of the night came a fate worse than death. A man's mind twisted, his brain poisoned with an uncontrollable lust to kill. Horrors of Spider Island. A tale of terror that will leave you limp. So hideous and shocking, you won't believe your eyes. His hunger for victims was never satisfied. to be frightened out of your wits by the horrors of Spider Island. The two most terrific names in screen evil together in one shock show. 
horror of Frankenstein and Scars of Dracula. Your ticket entitles you to be frightened out of your wits at no extra charge. Horror of Frankenstein and Scars of Dracula. In color, rated R. Hi, this is Jeff Owens from the Classic Horrors Club. And I'm Richard Chamberlain from kccinephile.com and monstermoviekid.wordpress.com. We'd like to invite you to attend the next monthly meeting of the Classic Horrors Club on the Phantom Podcast Network. We think you'll enjoy our show, but don't take our word for it. Let's ask some of our listeners what they think. Excuse me, sir. What did you say after listening to the Classic Horrors Club podcast? I'll never smile again. Wow, that's a little mean. How about you, sir? Would you recommend the Classic Horrors Club podcast? It would be very dangerous, not only for you, but for others. Well, we do talk about classic horror, from silent screen to Halloween and everything scary in between, but I don't think I'd call it dangerous. I think that's enough from our listeners. I've always said we have the, uh, best fans? Why don't you give us a try yourselves? We meet once a month during the Classic Horror Club podcast on the Phantom Podcast Network, found at downrightcreepy.com or at classichorrors.club. Oh, wait, here's one more listener walking his pet. What do you think of the Classic Horrors Club podcast? There's the stink of hell on this train. Even the dog knows it. First of all, thank you for taking some time to talk to me. I want to tell you that Joshua Kennedy is a dear friend of mine. What did you think of his movie? I thought it was beautiful. I'd love to have seen more of The Minotaur because it was so well done. That's why I wanted to see more of The Minotaur. I wanted him to fight more before he was, you know, gone out of the way. I thought, he, I thought for his first effort, this is his first effort, isn't it? He's, his, first fan, his first fantasy film, for sure. It's, a, it's wonderful. I think he did a wonderful job. I think he's got a great future. And he's a fine actor, too. He's got a great voice. Yes, a, a marvelous voice. Very, very theatre. And uh, oh, I, can, I have to congratulate him. I'll meet up with him later. and I think he's wonderful. Yeah, I'm going to meet up with him later as well. What have you thought of Monster Bash this year? Well, it's, it's rather taken my breath away. Well, it's always like coming to a family of like-minded people, and that's always in my comfort zone because I really relax and we're, we're all like each other here, you know. And there's, you don't have to put up a front to try and be who other people think you might be. They know who you are. I know who they are. They travel a long way to come and see all the things they want to see, and they put a great effort into it. And it's very heartwarming, and I've, it's, it's moved me very much. And uh, I've enjoyed every single second. I've enjoyed so many of your films over the years. Of the horror films that you've done, which one is your favorite? Yeah, uh, I loved uh, the Dracula movie, but my favorite was uh, the Frankenstein Must Be Destroyed movie with Peter Cushing. It really was. I really enjoyed that. I had a bit more confidence because Dracula was the first big role I'd ever had, a starring role in a movie, and I knew a lot of weight was on my shoulders not to let them down. Johnny come lately, you know, into the scene of well-established actors. And uh, by the time I had met Peter, I had, I had that confidence in me. And uh, fine director Terry Fisher was wonderful. And the, of course, the people I worked with again were absolutely extraordinary actors. A great, I mean, 
Freddie Jones was marvellous and I had the good fortune to meet up with him in London about three years ago and it was such a treat. It really was such a treat. And David Prowse, I met up with him again. He was in the horror of Frankenstein, of course, you know, the monster. But I was so busy because I had not been to England for so long, for certainly for a convention, that I had so many people, so many people, that I'd stayed in virtually. The only time I met Caroline is when we went to the loo together and came back. Otherwise, I was there from 10 till 6 or 7 at night, I can't remember now. Just signing, signing, signing. The people were so happy to see us. It was just lovely. But this is by far, I think, one of the happiest ones I've attended. It's just people have got so much love in their hearts with this, this, this thing we do that we understand that maybe other people are not so sure about. You know what I mean. I, I really know what you mean. It's, yes. it's, these are my people. Yes, my, they're mine too. Yeah, and I'm theirs too. It's, it's a lovely camaraderie. You mentioned Peter Cushing, and we are solidly on Team Cushing on Monster Kid Radio. We, we love everything he's ever done. If you had to, in just a few words, describe the difference between working with Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee, how would you do that? It would be hard to do because basically they were the same type of man. They were seemed to have been in, born in another time when gentlemen were gentlemen, faithful to their wives, and upright and straightforward and uh, honest. Everything about them was immaculate, you know, dress, demeanor. And so that's a hard question to answer because they were so similar in that way. They were great friends. They had a wonder, they shared a wonderful sense of humor, great sense of mischief. I think maybe Peter was more sensitive to me because I was so sensitive to him. Because I loved him because he loved his wife so much. There's always a picture of Helen in one of the sets. Any of the sets he was on, there was a picture of Helen. And he was so gentle in his ways. And I saw how other people gravitated to him. Everybody did and deferred to him. Everyone held him in such, well, of course they did with Christopher too, held him in such high esteem. And my one regret is that in his later years, he so wanted me to go and have dinner with him down in Whitstable, Kent, which was never to be. There was always something. My, my husband had problems and I could not leave home for very long. And whenever I came to England, I had to go back very quickly. There was never time. And of course, that time ran out. Very sad. I find your work pretty timeless. I love watching uh, these movies over and over and over again, and I'm always picking up new things and, and little things a director did or an actress did or something like that. Do you go back and rewatch these movies? No, not very often. <laughs> <laughs> no, my, my son put up a sheet on his garage door. They, he, I, he used to live right next door to me. And we live in a court, so all the neighbors, or his friends from way back when I knew them, when they were little boys of eight or nine, I'd known them all those years, and now here they are, all taller than me. One of them's now a judge, oh, wow. and he played the ho he played Frankenstein Must Be Destroyed, and as it was dusk and going into the dark, he stood with his arm around me the whole time, and they'd put chairs out and tables. They were giving their, their neighbors shooters. Well, the first time I'd ever had one of those, I had uh, three, and I shouldn't have done. I, I, I wasn't sure. I didn't know there was vodka in them. I thought this is lovely Jello. Yeah. <laughs> got very happy and I had to go, had to go and lie down. But um, no, that was a magic moment. So these young men that 
now that were young boys that used to call me their second mom and still call me mom now. And I thought, thank God I never did that nude scene. Thank goodness I wasn't exposed in this, this movie, which was what they wanted me to be, completely exposed. I think that was a, an affirmation for me that I'd done something really right, you know? All these kids healthy, no drugs ever, no smoking, just straight good kids, all grown. Just fantastic. You have the legacy with the films and then your artwork as well. Is this your artwork here? Yes, it is. Yes. It's gorgeous. Thank you very much. I love to paint. I went to college when I was 16 and got my bachelor's degree. I was born to do portraits. I really, I, all, I've always sketched people and I've always been able to get a likeness. And it's something that I, I shall go back to eventually when I get my life straightened out a bit. <laughs> Hopefully. I adore it. Is it something people can find online or in stores? Can people buy it? Uh, at, yeah, as, at the moment, I'm, that's what I'm going to try and establish when I can get to. There are galleries where I live, beautiful galleries. I was in a gallery on Hilton Head years, years ago. Uh, that gentleman passed away in the gallery closed. But I was constantly doing uh, portraits for people all the time. I was never not doing something, never not working. One lady bought five of my paintings because uh, I, I paint flowers. And she said, she was a love. She is a lovely lady. And she said, I want you to do a portrait of me for me. And I don't want you to have a photograph. I just want you to do it for me. And she described how she wanted herself to be portrayed. She had lupus, and her skin was tightening. She said, Can you put me back? My mouth. She continued to, and I did. And she was thrilled with the flowers, her favorite flowers. And I did. I never kept a record of that. Never kept a record of it. And uh, she, she took it. So that was, it was one, those are happy moments. And there are other happy moments when I can donate a portrait for a good cause. Like when Ralph had pancreatic cancer, that brought in a nice amount of money for him. And for Peter, the window in the in church, that, that raised some, uh, quite a nice a lot of money for him. I see, I can't give that money, but I can give of myself. And that's what gives me great pleasure. I love, I mean, just talking to the celebrities here, like you, uh, you're so giving with your time, and it spills over into what you do when you're not here, like with your artwork, and I just want to thank you for giving so much of yourself to the community and, and to us. It means so much to have people like you uh, in our life. It's my thank you to the people who have given so much to me, and it's really affected me very deeply, I have to say, and I, I almost today I, it was very hard for me not to I had to be helped down the stairs but two things my legs were sh I was shaking so much and my darn dress was too long and I didn't want to trip and fall flat on my face and ruin everything <laughs> no it's been the most wonderful convention I couldn't have asked for a, a more beautiful time I've enjoyed speaking with you thank you so much thank you Derek I've enjoyed talking to you too Dracula has risen from the grave. Boy, does he give a hickey. The ultimate horror. The screen's most fantastic fiend is loose. The good Dr. Frankenstein. More monstrous than the monster he created. Running amok with a transplanted brain of a madman. Frankenstein must be destroyed. Both of you. Listen to what I have to say.
see the place where life completely stops and complete terror begins. See the dead brought back to screeching life. See the bloody revolt and vengeance of Dr. Frankenstein. See the most fiendish monster ever conceived. Frankenstein must be destroyed. All new and all too terrifying from Warner Brothers in color. Rated M. Mature audiences. In the year 1964, Hammer Film Productions made a film called The Gorgon. And for some strange and inexplicable reason, this film captured my heart and imagination as a child, convincing me, Joshua Kennedy, to become a filmmaker. I was so obsessed with this film that at the age of seven, I invited all of my elementary school friends to attend a screening of The Gorgon for my birthday. At the age of 10, I convinced my father to help me direct and adapt The Gorgon for the stage. It just seems so amazing that the most noble work of God, the human brain, is the most revolting to the human eye. Magira is free! Since then, I have continued to pay homage to this film in numerous productions of my own. Culminating in two full tributes to the classics, The Night of Medusa, and Dracula, A.D. 2015. In the year 2018, I will write, produce, direct, and act in a new gothic nightmare, House of the Gorgon. Oh yes, a film with a cast like no other. This is sure to be quite the experience. So, join us. Want to see House of the Gorgon become a reality? We need your help. Support the Indiegogo campaign now. This is Count Dracula. And I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited, and occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. You know how the children of the night, ah, I mean monster kids, can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned, and don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of, like that pesky Van Helsing. Listeners, I want to welcome to the show two of my favorite people, people that I've worked with, kind of, sort of, people that I've hung out with, definitely. Joshua Kennedy, Stephen D. Sullivan, longtime friends of the show, longtime friends of mine. Welcome to Monster Kid Radio, gentlemen. Oh, well, thank you for having us. Yeah, it's great to be here. It's great to the unholy trio is back together. Yeah. Back together. The last time we all spoke together was at monster bash which seems kind of like it was ages ago but in other ways it seems like it was just yesterday because i still have so many fond memories right oh, yeah of, of this summer's bash that was this year right <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, right it, it was i know it like like derek said it seems ages ago and at the same time it, it seems like i i just got back because it was yeah. so much fun and there were so many great things that happened there oh yeah including the premiere 
of Theseus and the Minotaur, which I want to talk about. I know we have another movie we're going to talk about. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. My <laughs> show, my my agenda here. I got a schedule. I got things I want to hit. And I want to talk about Theseus and the Minotaur. It just came out on DVD from oldies.com. Uh, it came out like the day after I released the Monster Kid Radio gift guide. I know. So, <laughs> <laughs> but it's out there now. You can get it at Oldies. Eventually, I'm sure it'll show up on Amazon. How awesome is this? How many movies is this now that you've got in circulation, Josh? Um, that's I know it's my 14th that I've finished. Um, okay. As for re- in release, I it's I want to say it's a bit lower than that. Right, because you've got the ones on YouTube that yes kind of don't count or do they <laughs> uh, I, I mean well they count as uh, films but they can't buy them exactly right so i don't count them as in release if that makes sense um let's let's uh let's say attack the Octopus people teenage cave women uh vesuvius experiment night of medusa slave girls on the moon sherlock holmes and then theseus so that's seven seven i got yeah seven do you really have seven that are only on youtube that that's seven uh, in, on DVD, and then, oh, and then um, yeah, because it's fourteen. Yeah, what are the what are what are the other seven? Then there's the there's airport, right? Yes, airline seventy nine and Dracula AD, uh, Alpha Omega Man, right? Three and those are the three that popped into my head. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> somewhere we're missing four. I know. There's <laughs> he's made so many movies now. You know, he's just totally. <laughs> I can't. I can't keep up. Uh, oh, and then uh, Menace with Five Arms and Curse of the Insect Woman. That's uh, seven. Oh, that, those that's are on, both on DVD. That's correct. So seven, eight, okay. nine. Uh, nine and three. We're missing two still. And then there's my silent movie, which hasn't seen anything. Uh, Maybe I haven't seen that. Hmm. That's right. That's right. The silent film. Yes. That, is that going to get a release? Um, right now, it, it's going. It actually is part of the South Texas College Film Festival this next weekend. Oh, and so it's, okay. it's 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 like little quiet film festival appearances, and uh, we'll see if all these. The only thing is, it's it's fifteen minutes long, so it's not really marketable as a standalone it's its own thing. Yeah, yeah. But I'm very proud of it. It's very Caligari esque and uh, German expressionist. So that's it's. Uh, Derek, you've seen it, right? I have seen it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. no, it's good. Oh, you rat! I haven't seen this. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, being the producer of Monster Kid Radio, I get certain perks. Yes, exactly. You know, just, yeah, <laughs> automatic perks that just get shipped to you. IMDb lists the night is young with Martin Beswick. Oh, I haven't oh. seen my music video. Yeah, you haven't seen that? No, I have not seen that. Oh, I guess it's on, I've it's seen on it. YouTube. It is on YouTube. It. Awesome. Yeah. Somehow I haven't seen it. We've, I'll tell you what, there'll be a link in the show notes, listeners. Yeah. It's it's fun. It's fun. <laughs> Thank you, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> Theseus and the Minotaur is your first foray into uh, just flat-out sword and sandal yeah. fantasy work. And it's the first time you two have worked together. And we were talking before we started recording. This is Steve's first movie credit where he actually contributed to the film outside of you know backing a, a mem project and he did some screenwriting on this yeah we had a great time doing it yeah oh god I, I loved it it was a lot of fun it's it's weird you know people people probably can't tell over the radio or uh, over the podcast but, <laughs> but i'm quite a bit older than you guys <laughs> for our listeners at home who uh <laughs> right <laughs> who can't who can't actually see us via the uh, the crystal ball. 
but Joshua and I, and this works for you too, Derek, we have a lot of the same kind of touchstones and stuff. So when we were mm-hmm. working on the script together, it was, he would say something and I would go, yeah, oh yeah, it's like the, the scene from Golden Voyage of Sinbad. And he'd go, yeah, yeah, exactly. And it, so it was, it was really cool. We had a great, I had a great time. Josh, did you have a good time? Say it yes. was it was one of the <laughs> no worst pressure. experience one of the worst experiences of my life. No, I <laughs> um, no, it's it's I completely agree. It was it was a true blessing to have him come in and and save the film uh, from destruction. Oh. <laughs> no, because I, I have a bad habit of when I'm writing, I get super excited and I keep I keep writing, and I tend to forget that people who will end up reading this don't recognize the references that i'm doing so i'm like he has a an eye tattooed to his on his hand that and i'll just keep writing thinking the reader will understand that it's the eye from the golden void of sinbad that's hypnotizing people that can da, 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 da. and then steve comes in he's like and this this is like this and this is like this and i caught your star wars reference and what if we did this and da, da. and that's from excalibur and i was like oh you it was like talking to a mirror image of myself so that was very very rewarding yeah, it it was it was really cool. We had a lot of fun, and I think the film is it's pretty fabulous. Though I have not seen the extended version yet. Which did we mention? It just came out yesterday. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I'm excited to get my hands on it. I want to see the the extra stuff. It's more stop motion, right? Mm-hmm. It's a, we're making it seem like it's a 20 minute edition, but uh, it's, it's a tiny little. Uh, fight with a turtle that Theseus has at the beginning of the movie. And I, I was watching the, the, the full cut. It's short and it's sweet, but it adds a subliminal feeling throughout the rest of the movie. Because without it, it's just, oh, Theseus is a nice little kid who's going to grow up and be the, the hero that we all deserve. But with that turtle scene, you see him. It, it, it helps his, his character arc because he's, he's actually fighting monsters before he has to go up to the ultimate monster in the Minotaur. So it's, I, I think it, it really helps in, in the long run. And it also pays off in the next sequence where they're all eating turtle soup. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think our, we were talking about this the other day. I don't think at one point we talked about having them shout the, the word Archelon, right? Which is the, the name of the giant turtle. We don't think the Archelon reference f- made it into the final cut after everything else, but, but, it's supposed to represent the the uh, the Raquel Welch versus the giant turtle sequence too from one million years BC. <laughs> and if they say uh, if you hear the word Archelon, it's a deliberate uh, a deliberate anachronism <laughs> because they did that in the Raquel Welch movie where they don't speak English at all, but they do say Archelon, which yeah. is the actual scientific name for the giant the giant turtle. And I, I sure. love that. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, the stop motion Ryan Langill oh my uh, is, God. you know, he's one of us. Uh, I haven't had him on the show proper. I do want to. He's been doing some stop motion work for years, and I mean, some, <laughs> what he did in Theseus and the Minotaur is the best he's done so far. It's great to see creatives like Joshua, like uh, like Ryan, like well, and like Steve. We're all coming together to collaborate on works of art projects that honor and celebrate our monster kid uh, interests and and passions and i love it and i love that we live in a time now where this is possible where josh is in texas i'm up here in portland and i'm steve we're, I'm in Wisconsin. yeah so i mean and we're all talking on skype about hammer films and monster movies and i love that we're in this place now where we can all do this and and be successful at it i think yes <laughs> 
<laughs> Unless you measure success by lots and lots of money. The Orville this last week, which is the, the science fiction sh- show uh, that's a, a comedy and kind of an homage to old Trek, had a, a really interesting kind of monologue where one of the characters talks about how money is no longer the measure of success in in their universe and and what everyone oh, strives nice. for is to be the best they can be at, at what they do and i was like yeah right on babe <laughs> <laughs> seth MacFarlane talking directly to me <laughs> yeah yeah money would be nice but yeah you know money cannot replace all of us working together and doing cool mm-hmm. stuff well you know, speaking of money, I, I want to bring up money because there's a crowdfunding campaign <laughs> that's going to be coming up here soon for Josh's upcoming movie that I want to mention briefly, House of the Gorgon. Yes. Oh, man. Oh. I, I, <laughs> so I'm a fan of Josh's films. I, I've been a fan of Josh's films for years. I mean, before I became friends with Josh, I've been a fan of his movies. Yeah, me too. And I am stoked that he has this project coming up. It seems to me, from an outsider's point of view, an outsider being like I'm not involved in the movies, <laughs> th- this is yet. This is like a culmination of, of everything you've been doing so far. It, Carolyn Monroe. Yes. Martine Beswick. Uh, Mrs. Kennedy. Yep. Mm-hmm. Come on. Veronica Carlson. Christopher Neem. Yes. Oh, yes. Bonafide legends working with future legend Joshua Kennedy. I can't wait. Tell us about House of the Gorgon. Well, um, like you said, it's... it's uh, Everyone keeps saying how my whole entire life has led up to this this moment, <laughs> and um, yeah, it's 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 going to be insane. It's insane now. Just trying to emailing them and and talking to them on the phone, and it's like, oh my god, I just sent my script off to Johnny Alucard from Dracula AD nineteen seventy two. Like he's uh-huh. going to be reading, he's going to be reading my script. You know, it, it's it's quite insane and they're the nicest people you i'm uh you you guys have met at least veronica and i don't, I don't know if you've met uh caroline or martine but they're the nicest nicest people on the face of the earth if you ever get a chance to, to meet them at conventions listeners um they're they're really super kind and they were jumped at the chance like like you said derek i've done music videos with martine i've done four i think over the years, for once every year, every time they 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 come to the states, and Caroline was in one of them, and it's just led up to that point where it's like, you know what, we should we've been making these videos, why don't we just all make a movie together? And yeah, it's it's going to be insane. That's awesome. I I can hardly wait. It's really really exciting. Yeah, and I I must admit I didn't actually meet Veronica. I saw her from afar, but oh, I was so man. busy in this monster bash, and now I am. Kicking myself, kicking myself, kicking <laughs> myself. <laughs> but maybe, maybe with this project, there'll be some opportunity at some point. Yes. Where Joshua will be doing a premiere or something, and we'll have those people there, and I'll be there too. Oh, that, that would be sublime. It'd be amazing. Cross my fingers. Yeah. So crowdfunding. Veronica, yeah, crowdfunding. Uh, so we've got an Indiegogo project in the works. Yes. Is that right? Sir. Okay. And uh, still trying to put all the i have a friend who's uh helping with the numbers and just trying to find a reasonable goal that will work and perks that will be interesting to people and because uh, I, I i did i actually did uh crowdfunding for theseus which went terribly awry and i had no idea what i was doing and 
a lot of people, a lot of friends donated and we didn't reach the goal and a learning experience. And another example of we learn from that and we move on to the extremely successful crowdfunding campaign for House of the Gorgon. So it's all it's it's a learning process. But uh, it's really tricky. You really kind of have to you have to spend a lot more time riding herd on it than you think you're going to in mm. order to make it successful. So. Hopefully this won't suck up all your time <laughs> yeah. and energy. And it, and it tends to prey on your mind, too. If you haven't hit, <laughs> hit your goal as quickly as you want to, you're like, what more could I do? What what should I be doing? Who should I be emailing? Who should I be calling? You know, how can mm-hmm. we make this work? But as you said, you live and you learn and go forward with uh, as much info as you can and hope that you can get the word out. And with the kind of stars that this film is going to have, if a thousand Hammer fans gave fifty dollars each, or two thousand gave fifty or twenty-five, it would probably fund very quickly. And you know there have to be thousands of Hammer fans out there, yeah, thinking oh, yeah. they'll never see these people in a movie again. And here you get a chance to see all of them so, together, mm-hmm. together, they, together, which they've never done before. They've never been in and a gothic horror period piece. It's it's. it's it's euphoria for me. It's 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 like reaching heaven. So from an from an audience standpoint, I mean, from directing it too, that that's that helps. But uh, I mean, that's yeah, what I, I would love the, to see. The real <laughs> trick is, what do you do after it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, man, let's not think too far ahead. I just want to see House of the Gorgon. Yeah, we'll figure out. So, question: Are you going to be in the movie? I am. Okay, excellent. The reason I ask is, and I think I've told you this, Josh, and I think I've mentioned this here on the show. Uh, I did speak with Veronica Carlson a couple of times at Monster Bash, and she attended your premiere for Theses and the Minotaur, and I asked her what she thought of it, and she, she, she loved it, but she made a special point to talk about how much she enjoyed you as an actor, and I know over the years... And we've known each other longer than a year, so over the years, yeah. <laughs> uh, we've talked a little bit about, Josh, uh, you... Being in the movies, most a lot of the times it started because you know your schedule better than anybody else's, and it's easier to schedule you versus say somebody who's got a day job and school and who knows what else. So that's why you end up in front of the camera so often. But I think you're a good actor as well. As much as I love your direction, I love your acting too. And Veronica Carlson commented on it. And if you're going to be acting in the movie as well, I think that's just another bonus, another reason to get involved with backing House of the Gorgon. Well, I agree you, with sir. everything Derek just said. Oh, thank you. Thank you. All right, that's our show. <laughs> I'd, like to, I'd like to thank the Academy. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they like me. They really, they like, really me. like me. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm excited for it. I'm excited to see what happens with House of the Gorgon. Oh, and it's part glad. of the fun of seeing your films, just to see you pop up in them. Sometimes, you know, in an Alfred Hitchcock short way, but, but more often in a in a kind of serious, serious role. And you're usually one of the best people in the thing. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. And we're, and and we're also envious that you're going to get to act with these, these other great stars. There is that (laughs) envy, envy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, keep us posted on house of the Gorgon. We'll definitely talk about it more on monster kid radio as the, crowdfunding campaign continues because I think it's really something people are going to enjoy and think is special. Like you said, these three actresses and this hammer actor who have never all been in the movie at the same time together with you. I I can't wait. I'm really excited about it. We have just real quick that we have, um, the lovely Georgina Dugdale 
She is um, playing the love interest in the film, and she is Caroline Monroe's daughter. Oh, wow. Really? Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, without spoiling anything, it's uh, going to be me and her as the two young lovers, and it's it's almost like the next Hammer generation in a, a weird way. It's like, oh, this is Caroline Monroe's daughter, and she's we're yeah, it's it's wow, yeah. I had no idea. The question I would have though is, Martine, okay with that? Oh yeah, we've talked about it. We've uh, okay, 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 we've, okay. We've had a long, <laughs> long discussion over Skype. We're we're, we're fine. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, yeah, keep me posted, and you know, as movie as the movie continues, let's have you back on to talk more about it in general or in specifics, sure. I guess. Um, be glad to. I mean, it's 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 something I'm looking forward to. Almost as much. Okay, actually, I take it back. I am looking forward to that a lot. But I'm also looking forward to talking about The Reptile with you, too. Oh, yes. Yes. Here, I thought you were going to say Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors, but okay. <laughs> I, you know, I play your promo like every other week, dude. You do. Come on. <laughs> you do, and thank you very much. But, but people might be interested in knowing... That the first draft, which is actually more like a second draft because there have been rewrites on, along the way, of that book is done. And it's one of the longest things I've ever written. And hopefully nice. one of the best, too. So with any luck, that'll be out and available for people to get within the first six months of 2018. Though you can always join up at my Patreon, CushingHorrors.com, and read along with it as it comes out. Once every two weeks. If people get involved with the Patreon now, can they go back and see previous chapters? Yes. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. And if they if they join up at the the two dollar a month level, they actually every month they get a PDF that contains all of the chapters up to date. Oh, okay. And in advance of when they're on the website. Okay. All right. And so there will actually be a print edition available and ebook, I assume. Yes. Okay. Yes. Fairly soon, if we're lucky, before Monster Bash, so which all of us may or may not be on, depending upon whether the the gods of money come down and bless us so that we can all make the trip. <laughs> you have been blessed by the gods of moolah. So thank you, thank you, <laughs> the grand moolah. <laughs> so now, so now we need to start a crowdfunding campaign for that. Too, yeah, then, yeah. Is that what we're Okay, so we got an Indiegogo for Josh's movie, Patreon for you, and then right, uh, maybe a GoFundMe for for Monster Bash. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, that's awesome, Stephen. Is there going to be another Doctor Cushing? There certainly could like, be. Uh, okay. I planned it to be three or perhaps four uh, story arcs for potentially okay. books, maybe more. It depends upon you know. One of the things about doing a Patreon is at some point you do ask the people that are supporting you, what they want to see next. And then you go in that direction, whether it's another Dr. Cushing or another Daikaiju attack or Frost Arrow or whatever, more canoe cops. So what happens after this? I'm not entirely sure, though. I'm finishing up the Tournament of Death 4 right now, too. So so maybe. I hope so. So a question I've always wanted to ask, where did you get the name Dr. Cushing? Like, is that from something? Is that after named after someone? Is that a- <laughs> I think it's probably really obvious to anyone listening to this podcast that uh, Dr. Cushing is a, is a tribute to Peter Cushing. And- what? 
<laughs> and uh, and in some ways, a, a tribute to Doctor Terror's House of Horrors as a title. Now, you know, obviously, this is not a licensing thing. This is a tribute thing. So <laughs> he's not really <laughs> the same guy. In fact, his first name is Lee, and I bet you can't guess where Lee. It's spelled Lee I G H, but it's pronounced Lee, and I bet you can't guess where the name Lee Cushing came from. Uh, so. No. Yeah, I got nothing. I got nothing. <laughs> yeah, I brought a blank. Certainly yeah. not in this. Brought a blank. We're about to talk, talk about together <laughs> either. <laughs> so, but there were a lot of a lot of tips of the hat and, and tribute names and that kind of stuff inside the story, which is completely original and is not like a spinoff or based on any any previously existing characters or movies. But as in a lot of my work. You, you want to show your influences and you want to tribute your influences, you know, and that's why, you know, you have dedications at the front of books and that's why you use names that, that are, that resonate with you and resonate with your audience. So, and you do the same things in your film. And I assume Derek, you're going to do the same thing in your book, which you're working on now. Right. You know, and that's something that I, I love about monster kid creatives. And I've talked about this ad nauseum on the show that, you don't see fans of, say, like romantic comedies making dirty dancing fan fiction, yeah. right? You, you don't see... Well, aside from black fiction, maybe. <laughs> well, yeah. You, you don't see this happen with other genres or subgenres. The fandom of, of genre film, sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and especially Monster Kid stuff, I love that we are continuing to make things in this vein. I mean, you've got Dr. Christine's Chamber of Horrors. Joshua's movies are a testament. I, I would be willing to bet that after you watch Joshua's movies, you can pretty much guess what DVDs are on his movie shelf, <laughs> right? Because you can tell what movies are influencing him and what his background is. And Steve with, with Frost Harrow having the Dark Shadows influence and, and everything else going on. And then hopefully with what I've got going on and we'll be releasing next year, it's it's just such a, a way to celebrate and, and honor these these works that have influenced us and it's on the nose but not annoyingly so right yeah and it's like it's like you're in on the, you're part of the club if you know what dr cushing is you're part of the club if you know you know where the hand the eyeball on the hand came from and, and it's right. it's a welcoming kind of secret handshake thing but yeah at the, same, at the same time as a creator i want to make sure that what i do even though it has these nods and tips of the hats it still needs to be accessible to everyone that, oh, sure. That's out there. And I think when I was working with Joshua on his movie, that's one of the things I tried to remind him. I was like, okay, you and I are going to get this joke, but we still have to explain what's going on here. So people that aren't in on the fact that the hand is from the Sinbad movies, the hand with the eye on it is from the Sinbad movies, that normal viewers or normal readers will be able to pick, enjoy it for what it is. And then later, when they become more sophisticated, they can go, oh, Lee Cushing. <laughs> <laughs> more sophisticated. Uh -huh. Okay. Uh -huh. well, you know, no, the I mean, thing about the eye on the hand, the, the eye on the hand, I want to comment on that. I was so wrapped up in the movie that when I saw the eye on the hand in uh, Theseus and the Minotaur, when Joshua shows up and waves his hand in front of the camera, and you see the eyeball painted on there. My brain did not immediately go to Sinbad. Oh, my brain was in the moment. It was in the zone. It was in Theseus and the Minotaur. And I mean, obviously, I, I realized that it's, you know, an homage and we're, we're nodding towards some of our favorite things. But the way that you do it, Josh, and the way that Steve does it, and the way Chris Mim does it with his movies, while it's there, it's never so point blank that it takes you out of it and go, oh, yeah, this is what he's referencing. Does that make sense? Right. 
Yes. I think there's a level of craft there that I really appreciate with what you guys do. Well, thank that's, you. I'm, that's the goal, I think. You know, with Mim's uh, latest movie, Demon of the Atomic Brain, almost every character is named after an actor right. or actress from that era. You know, there's Agar, there's Adams, they're all there, the Gordon. Uh, and they're, you know, they're all there, and, and I love it. But it never takes you out of it. And, and again, it's just, I'm blessed to have so many creative friends who get it and can produce great material. So thank you. I guess, I don't know where I'm going with this. Um, you guys are awesome. No. I'd, like to, I'd like to thank the Academy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you're awesome, Derek, for, for oh. I mean, if, if it hadn't been through, I, I want to, how, Steve, how did we, I want to say you're the, the connecting chain. May have between been. Steve and I, yeah. And yeah. He, yeah. So. I think I'd, been, I'd watch one of Joshua's movies and I said I'd, to Derek, I, I love this movie. Do you know how to get in touch with this guy? And he said, yeah, geez, on Facebook. <laughs> mm-hmm. Get in mm-hmm. touch with him. And yeah, suddenly, and the, we're the unholy like, trio. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look at how far we've come. Derek, you're kind of like the, the spider that's like making the web and getting all of us connected oh together. So, thank you. In a good way. In a good way. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. You've taken over that Vince Rotolo role. <laughs> Because wow. I think a lot of us got hooked up originally because of Vince Rotolo and the B, the late great Vince Rotolo, and the B movie cast brought a lot of us together, and now the web has spread out, and now Derek is kind of at the near the center of that web, I think. So well, those are some shoes that uh, are are hard to fill. I don't know if I could do it, but thank you. That means a lot. Yeah, thank big you. shoes to fill. So, but yeah, so friends meet friends, and then friends get to work together. Isn't yeah. that how cool is that? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Huh. Okay. Can we talk about the reptile? Because I'm, I'm tired of blushing over here. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, and we get to do a podcast together about the reptile. Oh, there, there's a perfect segue. <laughs> yeah, perfect. It's like we've been doing this for a while. Okay. Um, <laughs> In this remote little country village, the mortal remains of a man are laid to rest. Who is it this time, Peter? It's Mr. Spalding. They found him this morning. Just like the others. Just like the others, he died in the night. Get away from there! Get away! Suddenly, violently, horribly. This is an evil place. Corrupt and evil. Evil, as venomous as a snake, turns the quiet of this village into a writhing hell on earth. Where every man fears for his safety and his sanity. Where everyone is suspect. Do you mean they died by some sort of magic? Some witchcraft? For the first time in my life, I'm frightened. Everyone is frightened. The doctor who'd lived his life in the East. This man who could be the next victim. This woman and this girl are frightened, hypnotized by the crawling, creeping spell of the reptile. Stop! Pack your things, we're leaving. No, Dr. Franklin. You are not leaving. I could kill you. Possibly. But you could never be free then, could you? And what would happen to little Anna then? Trapped like animals in a cage, and getting closer and closer, Suffocating them with terror. The reptile. So 
So The Reptile, it's a Hammer film, and while the 1951 Downplays podcast is back, and I have an outlet talking about like the production and history of these Hammer films, Woo-hoo! here on MKR, we talk about the fandom and the love of these movies and what these movies mean to us. And The Reptile is one of those Hammer films that I feel like, outside of the people who are really deep Hammer fans, not a lot of people really know too much about. And, and I think that's a shame because it has so much to offer. And I think the, the image of the monster is actually more famous maybe at this point than the movie itself, which is, yeah. at least in the U.S., hard to, hard to get on a, in a good format, hard to see. Though TCM may have played it in the last couple of years. So No, TCM's actually been pretty good, but they, they, um, they do it in a full-screen pan-and-scan version, which I'm... Ooh. Yeah. Oh. It's they like one of the done f- that in a while. <laughs> I know it's, it's one of the few. I want to say like the one or two films in my life that I've seen on TCM. It's like why are you putting it in pan and scan? But uh, they they've shown it a few years. But I think Derek, this goes back to what you were saying. Uh, it's difficult. It's not maybe not that famous because it's it's so difficult to to acquire. I mean, I know there's a UK Blu-ray, um, mm-hmm. but in the US, it, it's we had. I think the only release it had was the Anchor Bay, which has right. long been out of print. Right, and, which means uh, sadly it's expensive. I have it, but uh, and I'm glad I do because it's, there's nothing more annoying as a, a film lover than things that go out of print and then become insanely expensive. Yeah, right. And the reptile is one of those things in the U.S. Sadly, no, I, I think that's so. That's what used to how it's not that that famous is because it's not so readily available. At least in the U.S., I don't know how it's it's held if it's held in such high esteem in the U.K. or or not, but. Um, but it's, it's, it's it, I mean, I mean, Peter Cushing's not in it. Christopher Lee's not in it. It's uh, one of the lesser known uh, Hammer films. And I think the people who know of it already are Hammer films, if, if are already Hammer film fans, if that makes sense. No, yeah, it, it makes perfect sense. I think that's pretty accurate. I think the curse of Hammer films is that, unlike Universal, they didn't have their own kind of distribution chain. Yes. So, so many of their movies were distributed by so many different companies. Universal did some, Warner did some, Paramount did a handful. And because of that, the rights to these movies to this day are still scattered all over the place. Yes. And you just don't have the reptile as readily available here. And then you've got the region issue when it comes to region A, B, C, when it comes to Blu-ray or one, two, one through nine when it comes to DVD. It is available over in the UK on Blu-ray. I've got it. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, I love my multi-region Blu-ray player, and and I love watching this thing on Blue. I wish more people had a chance to see it because the monster itself, and this is something that I think people don't give Hammer enough credit for. Hammer, yeah, they made their mark. They really kind of got on their way with Frankenstein and Dracula. You know, kind of reapproaching these two classic horror franchises that Universal already bled to death, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then they have Curse of the Werewolf, which is its own unique take on the Wolfman. Plague of the Zombies, which I'm convinced if Romero didn't come along, Hammer would have done another zombie movie. Uh, and then this movie has a, such a unique monster and looks so cool. Yeah, yeah. it's a great design. You, you've never seen – Universal wasn't doing this. Yeah. Nobody was doing that. Where they're just trying something completely different, uh, right? And going going for broke with, I mean, the Gorgons in there, the greatest movie of all time, uh, in my <laughs> estimation. Uh, <laughs> and um, and uh, you 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 listed a few, and there there's one other one that I'm always in, intrigued by. I was like, oh, this is, and I, it's on the tip of my tongue, and I think I just, uh, I've, I've, it'll come back to me later. But um, okay, but there, there's another one where it's like, oh, and Hammer did that one too, where it's it's a original. I don't, 
It'll it'll come to me. Sorry. Yeah, I think one of the the problems with this too is that it is it's not part of a series. Mm. There is no reptile. There could have been a reptile too, as far as I'm concerned. But there is no reptile too. There's nothing that kind of pulls people in from another direction. I think it also may get confused a little bit with the Gorgon because you know it's like single single name titles, and there's kind of that that snake reference to it and even when we were talking yes. earlier i was like cushing and lee but cushing and lee are in the gorgon they're not in yeah the yeah time. right <laughs> <laughs> right yeah it, so it, I think it's easy to you kind of swap them back and forth a little bit because of that reptilian connection but right and there are other similarities and kind, kind of the way that they play out too i mean they're very oh definitely they're I have, different but not that different so I, I have a little bit of history that I jogged down here, if we want to okay. go into that real quick. Yeah. It jumps right off of what you, you just said, Steve. Um, so, and I, I, I'm borrowing from the Little Shop of Horrors issue on the reptile and Plague of the Zombies, which is probably the best magazine on Hammer Films, Little Shop cool. of Horrors. Uh, Rich oh, yeah. Hudson, and it's just so in-depth. And I, I just glanced at it last night and then took a few notes. So John Gilling writes mm-hmm. the original screenplay for the gorgon and he was one of hammer's uh screenwriters anthony hines takes the gorgon screenplay and apparently butchers it and rewrites john gillings <laughs> john gillings original screenplay and anthony hines his pen name is john elder and so okay. john elder rewrites the gorgon and according to john gilling the original writer john elder completely ruined it and butchered his original ideas so fast forward that's 64, uh, 63, 64. Fast forward a few years to The Reptile, and John Elder writes the script for The Reptile. And then John Gilling, the original writer for The Gorgon, is set to direct The Reptile and rewrites John Elder's screenplay. <laughs> so, it, like, almost in revenge, he, like, takes his... And so, that's why... I, the, I mean, the similarities are so... Between the two films are pungent, but... Um, it's interesting. The two Johns fighting over their female monster scripts is an interesting. Oh, that's hilarious. I had no yeah. idea that was. <laughs> that explains a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just that he comes back and he's so pissed. John Gilling is angry that his Gorgon screenplay is messed up. He's like, you know what? I'm going to change John Elder's uh, screenplay for The Reptile and make it my own. There are so many similarities, even though the stories are different. Mm-hmm. That. And in the end, I think that's hurt the reptile because then you add on top of that the fact that it's it's hard to see. The distribution rights may be muddy. I mean, they came out with a, a Blu-ray of the Gorgon last year. Yes, they did. And how perfect would it have been to put the reptile on that same disc? Mm-hmm. And yet they put on the, the two faces of Dr. Jekyll, which I guess is kind of similar to the, the Gorgon in a way. But it's not nearly as cool a double feature. Yeah, yeah. Gorgon Reptile would have been just, you know, would have been perfect. But again, you know, the reptile kind of gets the the short end of the stick there. Mm -hmm. Even though technically, and I I know that the Gorgon is a perfect movie. (laughs) (laughs) The the reptile makeup, I think, is, is a better makeup than the Gorgon makeup. Even though I like the Gorgon makeup. Oh, but I mean, that, that, that goes without saying. That's, yeah. So right. aside from that, but the reptile, like I said, I think the image of the monster may be more famous than the movie is at this point. And it's a, it's a great, great makeup. 
Really oh, sure. creepy. Really compelling. The monster design is fantastic in that. Yeah. I mean, how, how do you take the features and the, the structure, the underlying structure of a snake and, and put that on a person? How do you do that? Well, Hammer did it. Yeah. And I think it looks really good. I mean, for what it is, yeah, you know, it's the 60s. So what? I don't care. I have a, love, a lot of love for these types of effects. And it's this wonderful makeup design that, like you said, Steve, it gets a lot of attention. I mean, I see it on book covers, magazine covers. I see it in YouTube videos. Yep. But that's about it. I don't see the rest of the movie discussed anywhere else. And, mm. and it's a shame because it does offer a lot. I wonder if part of the issue with it not getting as much respect, I mean, Lee and Cushing obviously aren't in it, so it doesn't right. get a lot of attention because of that. But a lot of the hammer material, especially in the sixties, I feel like, and I don't know, maybe I'm not, I mean, Steve, you might know, cause you're slightly just a bit older than us mm-hmm. in the sixties. A lot of the genre material seems to deal with cultural appropriation a little bit more colonialization uh, mm-hmm. with like India specifically. Right. And we didn't have that here in the States in the sixties right. as much. So I wonder if maybe some of the things they're speaking to didn't translate as well. Yeah, I think that that may be some of it, obviously, because there's there's a whole number of British films that are about what the British did or or right. sh- should have done in India, and, and basically how how badly they mucked all that up in some ways. And this is one of those films that that goes back to that as a touchstone, and that again, I think that makes it a little more foreign, a little more weird. Although I'm always, you know, as a monster movie viewer, whenever anyone's actually referencing other cultures, places, and times, I'm like, oh, cool, this is this is India, this is Egypt, yeah, yeah. this is, what you know. Oh, sure. You know, at the same time, I think people that aren't as aware that the British colonized all these places and, and you know, and had, quote-unquote, trouble with the natives, <laughs> <laughs> may, it may not make as much sense. What's, sure. what's happening in the movie to people that are it's like okay why is this Indian guy here and why does he seem hell bent on tormenting the family the, you know mm-hmm. is, yeah. if that may not help it either but I think I think you also hit on when you said the, the lack of stars the lack of kind of a box office lead at the front of this picture is also again one of the one of these things that just weighs against it. It makes it a lesser known film than maybe it deserves to be. If you'd put Lee and and Cushing in into top roles here, then well, then you wouldn't you know maybe get as great a turn from Michael Ripper as you get. But well, well can I add on to that? I think yeah. I mean, us being Hammer fans, I mean we've seen these movies dozens of times, but every time. I mean, I have I can't say that I've seen The Reptile as many times as, you know, The Gorgon or Horror of Dracula or Brides of Dracula. But the fact that Lee and – I mean, this this goes for any movie that doesn't have a star in it. The fact that they're a leading man isn't in it completely levels the playing field because our hero goes in towards the end and he gets bitten by the reptile. And for a split second – I mean, for a, more than a split second, he gets bit, he runs back, and then – I mean, they have that awful scene where she has to cut his his neck open to release the venom, which is brutal. But he has yeah. he's lying in bed and he's having the, the nightmare and he's I mean, the venom is is coursing through his body. And you're like, oh, my God, we might lose the hero here. Right. He might and, actually die. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, had it been Cushing or had it been Lee or uh, we, we would have been, oh, he's going to be fine. But as soon as I mean, what's I wrote his name down. Ray Barrett. He's fantastic. I thought he, he's great in it. Um 
I mean, not not your average leading man or uh, a big name, but uh, right, he's kind of craggy faced and but, yeah, but at the same time, and he's he very and solid. he and Jennifer Daniel are very believable as as uh, the the new lovers, the 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 newlyweds. Every time I watch it, uh, well, not every time I watch it, but when I first started watching, I'm like, oh wow, are we going to lose him? Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Just, like, it, and it, does he get back into the film before the end of it? I don't. Yeah, really yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. No, he spends the, the final moments of the movie in bed. I mean, he's yeah. No, you're absolutely right. There's this this sense of who do we hang on to here? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, this movie has an edge of danger to it that I I respond to really well. Uh, just personally, anyway. I mean, I like having a little bit of danger thrown into my stories. And this guy, who is a solid actor, who does a really good job through the entire film, and he's selling, you know, the pain yes. that he's in. Oh yeah, and 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 the sweats and and just really. Oh. That's one of the. It's, I mean, go ahead. Sorry, sorry, keep going. No, no, I was like, it's solid. It's brutal. I think you you nailed it when you said it's brutal. That's, yeah. that's a perfect way to put it. And he's he's doing these these high pitched screams. He's like. Yeah! I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. He's actually agonizing through this this terrible thing. And, okay, so this goes into another topic I wanted to. The makeup, I mean, uh, uh, passing the, 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 the reptile makeup, the makeup of the bites is brutal it's as gruesome. well. Yeah. It is gruesome. It's the, 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 the whole skin turning green and being bulbous, and then the, the people are foaming at the mouth. It's, it's intense. When I was watching it the, the other night, rewatching it for the show, the show I, I was looking at his makeup and i'm thinking no nobody's gonna survive that yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> no he's he's cooked if if your skin looks that necrotic and that horrible and that blackened and just there's no way that you're gonna bounce back from that yeah yeah you know so a little, little bit of unrealistic <laughs> uh makeup going on there in some sense it's like no if you look that way in real life you're dead <laughs> they could do for you outside of a very modern medical facility where they'd probably put you into a coma and keep you that way until you yield. <laughs> but, you no, know, this, this is a fantasy, as all horror movies are, so uh, we're willing to give him that. Yeah, okay, yes. he, got, he got bit and he can still walk at the end of the film, though he spends a lot of the end of, a lot of the, end of the film out of the action, which is uh, amps up the suspense for the rest of it, too. Yeah, you mentioned Michael Ripper. Like, I got to talk about Michael Ripper. P- people who listen to 1951 Down Place know I love me some Michael Ripper. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Ripper is one of these guys who I've heard this bandied around a lot or bandied about a lot. Is it true? Is it is it really true that he appeared in more Hammer films than Liam Cushing? I think that's easy. I think that's yeah. so true. I think that's definitely true. Well, yeah, I think he's in all of the ones with them pretty much, and then he's in ones like this as well, right? And outside of say like Night Creatures, I feel like, and maybe even Night Creatures not as much. He gets so much to do. Oh yeah, he he's not just the guy running the bar. He's the guy running the bar who's investigating. He kind of helps the hero out. He's he's as equally part of the action as anybody else, and I love it. I mean, the guy's a great actor, and to have him be able to have more to do than you know turn his nose up at something or go dig up a corpse somewhere is wonderful. You hit it right on the nose. Night creatures, aka Captain Clegg, for our UK listeners. I think that that role and the reptile are his two big and he has a big meaty role in The Mummy's Shroud. Oh, which, I love that too. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. And he where you're like, hey, he's actually has it's more than just a cameo. He's he's a little supporting character. Right. Uh, he's not the guy that wanders through and gets killed by the monster. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. Which he he does every once in a while, but um, 
yeah, it's it's very rewarding, and he's he's giving it his all in this. This is one of his best roles for Hammer. And yeah, mm-hmm. maybe one of his best roles overall. I mean, it's 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 almost like he's a co-leading man. If if he were kind of a more handsome leading man type, you'd think of him as the second lead in this picture. Yeah, because he basically he has that screen time, and he's there interacting in a way that he really doesn't in most of his other Hammer film or any other film appearances that I'm aware of. So it's it's really cool, and that was when I was rewatching again. That was one of the things I rediscovered. It's like, oh my god, he's in this film a lot. He's and really he, he has his little icon, like his little Oscar moment every time there's like a big scene that the, that it's it's the I call them the Oscar moments. That's the scene that they'll play at the Oscars when it's like and for supporting actor <laughs> Michael Ripper, and they'll show that scene. It's the scene where he brings in the hero uh, Ray uh, Barrett into the into the the tavern. And he's like, aren't you going to help me? And he goes, you know, when I was at sea, I, I always dreamed about having a tavern like this. And I'm going to keep it this way because I finally have it. I, he doesn't cry, but he, he breaks down to his vulnerable state. And the, uh, the hero goes, uh, you're, you're afraid, aren't you? And he says, yes, yes, I am afraid. For the first time in my life, I'm afraid. And he's like, I, I would like to help you. but And then, then he walks out. It's like, whoa, this is that's some solid acting yeah. right there. Nice character moment. It's a nice emotional reveal. And, yes. Which is something you, honestly, you don't get a lot of in monster movies sometimes. Yeah. Even good ones. Even good ones. You don't get that, the feeling that there's more going on to the characters when they're not on screen. And mm-hmm. his work in this movie, the way, the fact that he plays it so well does give you a sense that this is a character who has a background and has other things that are going on with him beyond what the script is showing us beyond what we're seeing. So, yes. Yeah. One of his best, one of his best. Yeah. Even a moment as innocuous or as innocent as before he walks from in from behind the bar when the, the first time, we, we see him there. I mean, he's not there at the bar. He actually comes back from behind that curtain, Daria. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I believe he was back there washing glasses. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I believe he was back there doing something. Right. And, and he, he also has a super subtle little moment. Um, and I'm going to mess, I'm going to butcher this, but he comes out and I want to say that the entire bar has been, been emptied. And, uh, he comes from around the bar and just real subtly, he has a towel in his hand and he just wipes the, the side of the table off as he walks around. It's just, it takes like a millisecond, but it adds so much. He, he, tur- he's coming around the bar and he says, well, I think you'll, you'll be wanting this drink or just some, something like that. And he just, uh, very softly wipes the, the edge of the bar with his towel. And I was like, that, that's an innkeeper right there. That's, I, I totally buy that. Right. That's exactly. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And it's, it's. Clearly, he's played innkeepers or barkeeps yes, quite a few, yes. <laughs> few movies. But it's also clear he's observed innkeepers and barkeeps, you know, and, and you see that, and you that immediately sells his character to you, which is a, a great bit of acting. Either that, or he's observed Peter Cushing and knows to do something with his hands all the time. Um, <laughs> Constantly have props in his hands. Prop in hand. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> Now he's fantastic, and you know uh, the makeup, Roy Ashton's makeup, Ripper, and the rest of the performances in this are pretty solid too. I think they're all good. Uh, you know, I seem to remember that on some other show, it might have been 1951 Down Place, but it could it could have been the B movie cast or something else. That someone was complaining about Jacqueline Pierce's work in this film, and oh, I can no. say I I don't see it at all. I think she's brilliant. 
what what was the, what was the argument that she's I, I don't remember it's it's long enough ago that it slipped my mind that I, she was maybe wooden or that she I don't know I I didn't see it at all I was kind oh, of watching, I, it's like, I can I completely disagree with that he she's the emotional center of this entire movie and you see when I mean again just little subtleties where she's just waiting at the top of the staircase to come to there they're having dinner and he's like well Anna is being punished right now so she can't come down and he he goes Anna you can come down now and it's like a little she's like a little kid because can I come down is it permission for me and you like what torture has this poor man has this evil well you could call him poor too he's he's gone through a lot too what has he done to her what has Marnie Maitland what has he done to this poor woman and she's and she has her little pets she's so childlike she has the 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 the, the pigeons and and the ra- rabbits and the and, and the rabbits the, cat. the little kitty yeah <laughs> and um she, i she's like one of the best parts of this entire movie and she's the sadness and she she freaking <laughs> anyone who like picks flowers and brings them into a house without permission is just like i thought these flowers would make you feel better it's like oh my gosh that poor girl i think yeah she's she's phenomenal in this so i, I can't see how anyone could call her wooden or anything derek do you remember anything about that was, was there someone that wasn't fond of her and in, in either either in your show or some other show you've heard i'm oh i don't remember and i and i hate to think that maybe i might have said something because i <laughs> yeah, don't yeah. believe that now <laughs> I don't believe that now at all. I really enjoyed her in this. I think she does a really good job, and a lot of the acting is so deep beneath the surface that it comes across as genuine. Mm-hmm. A lot of the emotions and, and that sort of thing. Uh, the cluelessness uh, that she has about how other families work because of the situation she's in. Yes. Right. I, I really responded well to that this time around. Right. I, I really think she's completely selling this kind of innocent, trapped in this horrible situation thing because it's. None of this is her fault, and yet she's no. being she's being punished for it essentially by yeah. her her you know her kind of awful dad. But the, one of the nice things about this movie is that it uh, for a long time you think the relationships in in this whole movie uh, the hero and his wife they're pretty straightforward hero couple. But you think different things about different relationships, including Michael Ripper and all the rest. And you think their motives are one thing and they're acting one way for one reason. And then as the movie kind of unfolds, you start to see that, no, that there's, Mm -hmm. they may be behaving badly, but the reason they're doing so is much more complicated than what you thought it was, you know, and, and we're into spoilers here. So we might as well say, you know, the way her dad is treating her is unreasonable. But once you get deeper into what's been going on and what the problem is, you Mm -hmm. understand why he might be doing that. Oh, definitely. Yes. And you think, well, maybe I wouldn't handle it that way, but you can see that there are, there are reasons that, yes, that it would be happening there that way. Maybe we should just give it like a really brief synopsis of the story, (laughs) but basically it's, it starts with the, the death of the brother of the the guy that turns out to be the main character in in a pretty terrific opening suspense horror sequence. Oh yeah, the brother is killed. His brother comes to town with his with his wife. It seems like they're they're not exactly newlyweds, so they're fairly comfortable with each other. But it's clear because of their ages, they're not really they haven't been married really really long. And they come to the town where they are shunned by Michael Ripper, the barkeeper, and everyone else. 
and they have this little cottage. And when they get there, the cottage has been, as I recall, it's been destroyed, right? <laughs> and I want to make sure I'm not mixing this up with the Gorgon, which I've also watched in the last three days. <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll be, I'll be, I'll make sure, I'll make sure to, to correct you if you have any Gorgon differences. <laughs> <laughs> right. So the, no, it, it's it's trashed inside. It's like it's been ransacked or something. Yeah. Right. And the, because the villagers are really afraid of what's going on in this village. And it's, it's basically people are dying from the black death. They, I think they call it at one point and no one's sure what's going on. And everyone is kind of covering it up because they're, they're just that afraid. So they have a cottage and across the moor from the cottage is Dr. Franklin who lives there with his, his Indian servant and his, his daughter, who is the one played by Jacqueline Pierce and the hero and the wife get involved in trying to figure out what has happened to the people in this town and what has happened specifically to the brother. And Michael Ripper kind of encourages that ends up getting over his fears and encouraging that in them. And they figure out that it's somehow related to Dr. Franklin and his strange daughter and their whole strange household. And eventually we discover that, that someone in this whole mix and do we want to say who it is, is turning into a, a human snake and killing other people as crazy as that seems. And then that precipitates the whole climax where the, they're trying to, to save one another and also to save Jacqueline Pierce character who's, who's appears to be so innocent and her father is such a, such a bastard. And, and <laughs> it all degenerates from there into into you know where as we mentioned before where the hero gets bit and it looks like he's going to die and you know in a moment of agency his wife decides she's going to kind of try to try to cope with this stuff and and deal with it and and rescue Jacqueline Pierce and that kind of stuff and then we get the a big confrontation and everything everything blows up and burns down not if not metaphorically if not literally <laughs> that was very well done. That was that was that was very well done. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Thanks. Not not bad for having no notes in front of me and only a yeah. uh, an IMDb page that I wasn't really and Wikipedia page I couldn't didn't want to read straight from. So <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But at least maybe that gives a little more context to what we've talked about and what we're going to talk about. Unless we're done now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think we're good. Thanks. <laughs> Um, <laughs> see ya. Go make a movie and write a book. But anyway, Jack, um, back to Jacqueline Pierce, who is, yeah. you know, the, the innocent that is put upon in this. I think she's brilliant in this. And, you know, and it's, it's crazy that this is not available in the U.S. either. She's not really well known over here. She's a fairly well known actress over in England. And she was the antagonist in the British science fiction series Blake Seven, where she played the Servalon, who was kind of a. I don't, saying she's a female dark vader isn't right because she's a lot sexier than dark vader but she's kind of like a dark dictator like force through blake's have you guys seen blake seven no oh oh no i you know i say this on down place too whenever it comes up it's something i keep meaning to watch well it's hard to get because i don't think it's available in the u.s at all at this point and it i think you can see it on youtube but yeah I always feel weird watching stuff on YouTube because you're never sure whether you're getting the full thing and, and, and whether it's going to end up coming up in the right order and that kind of stuff. But Blake seven is a kind of a, a, a science fiction drama series. It's a, it's about 
seven people who are pitting themselves against, for lack of a better term, right off the top of my head, an evil empire. And the Servalan, mm-hmm. played by Jacqueline Pierce, is kind of one of the top operatives or the top head of the evil empire that's facing these people. And every year in Blake 7, and I think there were four or five years, maybe there were more, it would come to a point where at the end of the season, the main characters would be totally doomed and there would be no way to get out of this situation. And then in the next season, they would figure out a, a good way to get get them ah. out of the situation. Uh, so it, it had some suspense and it had some uh, a, a lot of... It's kind of like, if you imagine Doctor Who is more of a straight science fiction space opera kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's kind of from that that same time period. It ran from 78 to 81, according to IMDb. Wow. Um, and it's it's really cool, but it's still got that British, oh, we don't quite have the budget to do any of this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> thing. And I think if, if my memory serves, and I don't have the page up in front of me, I think it was created by Terry Nation, uh-huh. who is uh, famous for his work on Doctor Who. Um, so, well, on Survivors, right? Uh, on what? Didn't he do that post-apocalyptic? Oh, I haven't survivors? seen that. I haven't seen yeah. that. Uh, maybe, could be, could be. Anyway, we. Anyway, she's kind of known for that over there, and and for other stuff. And well, she's also in. She has a featured part in Plague of the Zombies. I mean, that's how that's how else I know her. She's um, the first female zombie in that film. Oh, maybe that's maybe I'm misremembering. Maybe that's the thing in Down Place that people are like, "Oh, she's pretty wooden." <laughs> oh, oh, maybe. That's, well, she's, well, she's a zombie. I'm gonna have to, so, gonna yeah. have to rewatch that. So, <laughs> but she's great in the reptile. That was that was my yeah. point for all of this, and that she's fairly well known in the UK, but not here. I mean, mm-hmm. she's so yeah not well known here. She doesn't even have a picture on IMDb. They've got her credits, but not a picture. Really quick. Okay. Super random. Uh, remember, I was uh, earlier. I was like an hour ago. I was talking about the, the the originality of Hammer. We were talking about the original and how it was the Gorgon, the reptile, and Plague of the Zombies, and how they were doing their own thing. Hands yes. of the Ripper. Hands of the Ripper is the one I'm thinking of. Uh, oh, yes. that's a strange little film. <laughs> yes, but it's completely like its own little thing, and I I really like that movie. So that that's the movie I was thinking of. It just it came yep. to yeah. So yeah, and that that was so. <laughs> It's funny. That's that's another one of these that's kind of out of the out of the main circle of Hammer films. It's a, yeah. another one that's not really connected to any of the one any of the other ones. And I, as such, I it's hard to keep track of those films kind of mentally because they don't fall into into any particular slot in your brain. It's like, oh yeah, right. so I've actually watched that two or three times in the last couple of years. Where when I start watching it, I think I've never seen this before. <laughs> And then as I go on, there's like, oh no, yeah, uh, you've seen this before. This is the, this is this one. This has, you know, this is the one where the 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 young girl is possessed by the Ripper. You know, the spoiler. Is- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're doing the spoiler thing, right? So yeah, but I, fine. I think that's fairly obvious, fairly early in the film. The the suspense oh, is how yeah. it, the suspense is, is how it'll how it'll turn out. So I, I would like I'd like to say one thing about the reptile, if I may. Of course. So because uh, this is the reptile of podcast, isn't it? Uh, this is uh, allowed. <laughs> so of course. Uh, sure, go ahead. <laughs> the one thing I love this movie. I I think it's fantastic. The one thing that I will have an like if you had to give me a, 
a grain of salt and it's like what's the one grain of salt that you can complain about and i don't like spoiler alert that they break open the window and she is she dies because it's cold right it, it makes sense i just think it it's it was a letdown i think it was building up to this great thing and it's just it's cold Boom. right and they, and they did a fairly good job of laying out that idea yeah. that the, the cold was potentially deadly to the reptile. But, you know, again, this is all spoilers from the end. Sorry if we've ruined it for you now. But it all happens so quickly <laughs> when she dies that that, yeah. that always surprises me. It's like she's, she's there by the window when they break it, the cold hits her, and bang, she's down. Yeah. Which is why, in my little brain... <laughs> <laughs> they could have done a sequel to this. She's so she's lying there. She's been incapacitated with, with the the cold. When the the whole house burns down, when when she warms up again, when the flames get closer, it seems to me she should be able to get back up and then escape to uh, to return and strike again some other day. So if if I'd been uh, if I'd been in charge, if I got to make sequels to any movie I wanted to make sequels to. This one would have been a, a really a good one to make a sequel to. And she'd have had a, even more slinky outfits in the next one. And it would have been, <laughs> you know, Return of the Reptile or Revenge of the Reptile or whatever. I mean, if they can make three movies about the woman that turns into the ape in the 1940s, if Universal can do that, if we can have three of those Jungle Women movies with a girl turning into the ape, we can certainly have two or three reptiles. can't we? <laughs> I agree with you both. I think the idea is really cool that you've got to keep everything warm. There's a sulfur pit down. I mean, I, that's all really neat. And you've got to stay warm to stay alive. I get that. But the the death happens so quickly. And, uh, you know, on the one hand, almost every victim of the reptile's bite also dies very quickly. So it's an, an interesting mirroring of that. Right. But... You know, it's also the climax of the film, and I wanted a little bit more, too. Every monster should have a Harryhausen monster <laughs> death scene, where the monster gets to go, oh, and, and writhe around and do the operatic wail. And yep. The- yeah, and she, she just falls over. It's like, oh, that's it? That's weird. But, oh, well. I was I mean, also a little surprised, and this is a very minor minor knock, and, and in some ways, that they weren't sexier with the the reptile outfit. Now, it may be that because of the the face makeup that they're they're working on her that they didn't want to do a full body makeup or something like they did in the vampire circus with the the kind of green tiger woman or something but it seems to me that you have this kind of sensual reptile thing that they could probably played that up more rather they've got her in kind of a nice an interesting scaly looking form fitting dress but it's still a dress as opposed to something where you can see the legs. And it, it almost seems like in some ways, and this is 1966, so they were at the point where the Hammer movies were starting to get pretty sexy now. But it almost seems like they downplayed it in this movie where maybe they might have upplayed it in other circumstances. I'm not sure what mm-hmm. was up with that. And it's not much of a knock because it's still a great movie. You can't say, sure. well, it's not a good movie because I didn't see her breasts. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That is that is not a criteria by which we should judge horror movies yeah. or anything else for that matter, right? 
but uh, but I'm a little surprised that they didn't they didn't kind of push that further. And and Jacqueline Pierce is certainly she you know she's someone that has been known to do nude modeling before, so it certainly wasn't an issue. I don't think an issue for her then, unless she took up nude modeling later in life, which maybe she did. <laughs> Well, she was claustrophobic, so it's not like, you know, to be as open and free as possible. No, no constraints. You know? <laughs> right. No. Um, no, I, 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 I think, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think, uh, Steve, you might have just nailed it, though. I think it's probably a function of the makeup because the more skin you expose, the more scales you've got to draw or paint or, or glue on. and Right. And the more time you've got to spend in the makeup chain rather than two hours, three hours for the face, you've got to spend five hours for the body or. You know, and the, you know when they were doing Mystique for the X Men, I think she was in the chair at least five hours, wasn't she? You know, Jennifer, know, Jennifer Lawrence and the the other gal that's played Mystique, and, and then it was basically a full body makeup. Think think about this. I mean, just for a frame of reference for those listening back, for those playing the playing the home game at home, they <laughs> they didn't want, uh, among other things, they didn't want Barbara Shelley in the Gorgon makeup in the Gorgon because they thought the makeup would take too long and it would ruin the schedule. So you can just imagine, like, if that's their mindset. And then this is also... Oh, I didn't there, know that. That's, what a tidbit that is. That's I mean, there, there, were, there, there are multiple different versions, and then there's people who said uh, the producers thought that it would give away the movie, and it's like, well, the movie isn't really a whodunit. Like, you kind of know who the Gorgon is, but... Right, um, you have... It's like this film. There aren't a lot of suspects. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> we're we're playing list like it's a suspense. Who's the monster film? But there's only two women in it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> and, right. And, uh, and one in the Gorgon. Right. <laughs> and so, so what? what uh, to, to continue the um, <clears throat> what was like? Oh, so they're shooting this with Plague of the Zombies back to back. Like this is the beginning of their let's shoot five movies in two weeks type thing. They did it with. <laughs> this plague, I think, so it's Plague of the Zombies and Kiss of the Va- uh, Kiss of the Vampire, uh, Plague of the Zombies and the Reptile that they shot back to back, and then they shot Dracula, Prince of Darkness, and Rasputin. Rasputin, mm-hmm. and so I mean, the, I'm just trying to think budget wise. Like, like when you keep as much costs down, put her in. A, she looks fine in the green dress. We'll keep her in the shadows. She be, if 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 that that makes sense. Instead yeah, of the no, whole, it, you know, it makes yeah. perfect sense. One of the things that I love about Hammer is that. Even when they're doing low budget, their films always look so great because the cinematography is so strong, and the production the sets, design, the yeah. production designs. It's just like Joshua. I wish I could will you their sets, yeah, <laughs> right, <laughs> or that there was somewhere near you that had these kind of sets. Because I, you know, I know that some of them there were. They were using their offices and that kind of stuff, and they had some kind of a mansion on the on the the site and stuff. the The films just look great, and even in a short period of time, they're still. I wish films today looked as good as these films do, because they're they have real color to them. They have real production values. They're not color graded and CGI to death. Yes, they just look fabulous. Fabulous. Even if you, you know, as a, a monster kid, you maybe want to see the reptile a little more, or you wish that, that they'd been able to do a full body makeup on her so that you, you got a little more of that sensuality. There's still, I, I wish films looked more like this today. And the, as near as I can tell, there's no real reason they shouldn't, aside from the fact that people now think color grading is the way to go and CGI yeah. is the way to go rather than a simple practical effect, a, a good lighting engineer and a good cinematographer. And it's like, 
Zoom. Yeah. Well, the production design on this, uh, Bernard Robinson, one of the yes. mainstays, one of the one of the reasons to watch Hammer movies, the man's work on the Dracula films, the Frankenstein films, the Mummy is some of my favorite work by him. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the cinematographer Arthur Grant, who did a ton of Hammer films as well as a number of other things as well. Uh, you know, he worked with Corman with the Tomb of Lygia. You know, he did so many things, and uh, I'm just. The excellence and the uh, the skill on display here really makes these movies stand out and look amazing, despite the fact that it's, you know, when you think about it, yeah, Hammer's trying to spend as little money as possible making four movies in the same area, back to back to back to back, mm-hmm. using the same sets in some places, right. uh, using the same actors and actresses. I mean, you got Lee in the Dracula and Rasputin film, you've got the same cottage being used in this and Plague of the Zombies. It's, you know, they're trying to save money, but right. they managed the to make them all used in the Dracula right. and the Rasputin films and stuff like that. But at the same time, they're reusing something that they put a lot of time and effort into. So it's sure. Yeah. Yeah. Fabulous. Oh yeah. And, and unless you watch these movies incredibly closely and back to back, you aren't going to pick up on this all the time. I mean, they make them look unique enough to work as their own thing. And I, I love that about this era of hammer, late fifties, sixties hammer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Love it. I mean, I love the seventies hammer too, but I mean, this era of hammer for me is really the sweet spot. Right. Yeah. Horror movies, I don't think, color horror movies never look better than they did right at this moment in time with Hammer. Yeah. It, yeah. I, again, I wish, I wish everything looked as good as these films do uh, today. It would, I, I would certainly be more interested in modern horror films if they were, if they weren't all blue and gray. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) because they're scary. See, they're depressing. See, so everything's blue and gray. Well, you know what? We had (laughs) red and orange and bright blues and greens in Harrisville, and I was still scared. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So you don't have to color grade something to make it spooky, guys. Agreed. Speak on, Brother Steve. Speak on. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Preach, preach. That's right. (laughs) Uh, I want to talk about the music briefly just because I'm a soundtrack junkie. Yeah, me too. So, it's not James Bernard. It's It's not. not. But you know, I think this is one of the best non-James Bernard scores that I can think of. There are other Hammer movie scores that I like. The the score to the you mentioned the Mummy. The score to the Mummy is fabulous. Yeah, oh, it's time, beautiful. A lot of times when I'm watching a Hammer film that doesn't have James Bernard doing the score to it, I miss James Bernard. I you know I'll get a little bit into it and I'm like, is this a Hammer film? Where's James Bernard? Yeah. <laughs> I never felt that with this. In fact, I thought I don't think this is James Bernard, but I really. It's not taking me out of the film. It still feels like a Hammer film, yes. music-wise. And to pick on a film that I, I really like, Twins of Evil, as much as I like the the Twins of Evil score and the main theme, which they kind of appropriated for the Justice League animated show, as much yes. as I like that, it doesn't feel as Hammer-like to me as this film does, or obviously as James Bernard films do so yeah kudos kudos to the uh don banks for the the excellent work he did on this and it made me want to and i haven't had a chance because i just watched this made me want to see if i've got the theme to the reptile on in my hammer collection and seek out if there's an actual score to it 
that I could pick up on on CD or whatever. I don't know if it's actually been officially released. Some someone did um, a YouTube compilation of just taking the music from the film and just editing it all together in one ten minute nice little suite. And cool. uh, I mean, credit to him. It does. Is, you, I mean, you can hear some of the sound effects in the back, but it's like the closest we'll get to probably hearing it until there's an official release. A but, lot um, of this stuff was released back in the days of record albums. So it, it may be that over in the UK, maybe one of our UK listeners will tell us if there mm. was an official record album of the reptile, uh, because it was fabulous. Or maybe there's a collection of Don Banks. And I just, I haven't had a chance to look yet, mm. but I will. There have been some hammer collections right, released. Uh, and I wonder if maybe a suite or two or a track or two was released on a compilation right. album. I've got a bunch of them. <laughs> Yeah, me too. <laughs> so Same I'm gonna there. have. I need to actually go back and and look and see. So and but I'm one of these people that's bought. You know, I bought an entire CD for a four minute cut of the opening theme to Night of the Demon, Curse of the Demon. No, nice. nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, it's a whole album of stuff by a guy that I don't really know much of. And it's a pretty good album, but I really, really want the Night of the Demon theme. <laughs> Hey, I bought a CD pressing of a Japanese LP that supposedly had music, one track from the Fantastic Argo Man, and it's <laughs> so, <laughs> and it, it wasn't, it, but it wasn't the Argo Man that I wanted, which oh, was really no. disappointing. But, uh, but I understand, man. I hear what you're saying. <laughs> right. So I'm willing to kind of go to go to some lengths, though not to huge expense, to to get one cut that I really like, and that's. And the wonderful thing about it, the digital age is sometimes you can actually find those things digitally, and then you just have to buy the one cut, right? <laughs> so, mm-hmm. we'll, anyway, Don Banks, I thought he did yes. a great job. What do you guys think? Oh I, yeah, um, one of, I mean, probably my favorite scene is when she's they, she's like, play something for us, Anna, and she's I don't know what instrument that is, some Indian it's instrument. It's a sitar, I think. Is it a sitar? Yeah, it's the same instrument that Ravi Shankar played. I'm pretty sure it's a sitar. And that's just, that's a hypnotic scene where she's just yeah. playing and she's she's looking at the father and Marnie Maitland's off in the, the corner in the dark corner and it's it's she's kind of like almost proudly strutting herself in front of the, the father. Right. Just like she does that that she lifts her neck up or lifts her chin up, like, come at me, come what are you gonna do? What are you gonna mm-hmm. do? And I mean it's 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 beautifully edited together and um I want to I want to give Don Banks the credit for that score for the sitar music, but I mean if if he, he didn't, then congrats to that guy whoever did it. But uh, I think that, that that's one of my favorite scenes. Yeah, it's a great scene, and it yeah. ends very unexpectedly. We won't ruin it for you. <laughs> a little unexpectedly. Uh, she's kind of bullied into playing, but then she, as she does, she's like. I'm going to make you pay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When my playing is my revenge on you for locking, for not letting me come down to dinner. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and, and she, again, you know, Jacqueline Pierce just, she kills that scene. And yeah. even the, and credit to the editors too. I'm, I'm pretty sure Jacqueline does not know how to play that instrument. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but they had someone that did clearly for some of the hand movements and they edited in such a way then it's it's almost convincing that she's doing it. It's mm-hmm. you know so so often you see people badly faking instruments they're playing in films, but this is not one of those scenes. This is a very convincing scene. Well, and the way they do the audio mix too, which is something right. that I'm hyper aware of yes. after 
doing editing and podcasting for so long, you can kind of tell when something's been kind of franken bit together mm-hmm. in terms of like voiceovers or music put in or something like that. And I feel like this was well done. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't feel like it's something that's just dropped in later. Great, great sound design in this film too. I mean, and, and this—that's part of the whole Hammer package. That's why, even though you know, in a lot of people's eyes, and, and probably not in ours, the Reptile is kind of a minor Hammer film. They still brought the full force of Hammer production to it, and oh, that yes. includes the sets and the cinematography and you know, a good composer to the score and the sound design and editing, all of that stuff is still top notch, just right there and making this a better film. Agreed. I think that's, that's the best way to put it. I I don't know what else to say there. It's a wonderful movie that needs to be seen by as many people as possible. I feel like it's a wonderful monster, wonderful music looks just as good as some of the other sixties hammer films that you might be more aware of, like the Dracula films, that sort of thing. Right, and it's and it's got a good cast, even though the cast, aside from Michael Ripper, the cast is probably not a cast that's very familiar to a lot of a lot of viewers. Certainly not for, very familiar to to a lot of us. I mean, the the only one aside from Ripper and and um, uh, Marnie, what's his name? Marnie Maitland. Um, Marnie Maitland. Aside from those those two people whose work work I'm aware of, the only one I knew was Jacqueline Pierce, and that's from her her work on Blake Seven and stuff. The the other people, yeah, you know. And for, for here's my my name dropping moment. So uh, for our Hammer fans who might not, or it's thinking of watching this, um, we have Noel Willman from Kiss of the Vampire and mm-hmm. Jennifer Daniel also from Kiss of the Vampire. So they're they're kind of I mean he was the bad guy in or the, the heavy in Kiss of the Vampire and he's kind of playing that same so the, playing that same role in here and she's the love interest in kiss the vampire and the love interest in this one. So that's nice. And George Woodbridge, he was the innkeeper in the original horror of Dracula. And he's also, he's kind of a Michael Ripper type. He, he pops up every once in a while and he has two lines in the, in the, the tavern, but it's always, it's always, it's another like, Oh look, he's a hammered regular showing up. And that they have that, that, that homey feeling. It's like coming home to an old friend. I mean, for most of them, I can't say that for every Hammer film, but every once in a while, it's like, oh, he was the innkeeper in that film, and they're all, it's this the sense of camaraderie around these these early Hammer films, very right. apparent. Well, that's the, the stock players are one of the other things that's a, yeah. a great way to make low-budget films seem like a higher-budget film, because you work with a, a stable of people that you know how they're going to work with you and what they're going to bring to the thing. And certainly Christopher R. Mim has done that in his dozen, 13 Mimiverse films. And Joshua, you've done that in your films too. When I turn on one of your films, I'm almost disappointed if there aren't a couple of people in there (laughs) that I expect to see. It's like, oh, where's she? Where's Where's his sister? I can't even tell you the names often, but it's like, I expect to see this person, this person, this person. So, and Hammer's got that. And that, that, when you've got stock players, it drags up the level of production for the entire thing. When you've got people that have worked together before and they know each other and they're good at what they do. And that's, I don't know if you guys remember, there was a Nero Wolf series a couple of years back that had the, I can't remember the names of the, the actors right at the moment, but it was Nero Wolf is a detective series with mysteries and there's Nero Wolf. And then his sidekick is Archie. Nero Wolf is basically never leads his house. So Archie goes out and investigates. But what they did on that series was they had 
every week it was a different movie, a different mystery. And every week they had the same cast. And it took me weeks to figure this out, acting different parts in different makeups and stuff. So basically you were seeing the same repertory theater actors every week. Every week. In Mm. different roles except for the two main roles and maybe one a police inspector or something like that. And it was oh, just that's awesome. It was cool. <laughs> you get to that sense in, in Hammer films too and, and mm. in the reptile and stuff. I have just noticed that you can stream a reptile on Amazon. What? You can, you can stream it in S D for ninety nine cents or you can buy it for two dollars and ninety nine cents. Oh so that makes it it's not still not the Blu-ray that we're longing for in the US. But that um, yes. does make it, it's totally worth a buck to see. <laughs> yeah, oh definitely. And three bucks to buy. You know, yeah. I don't I don't know. Ho- hopefully it's not pan and scan, but you gotta take sometimes you have to take the what movies the way you found them. You know, yeah. you guys are young enough that you don't remember sitting in your house late at night or even in the middle of the afternoon trying to get an obscure monster movie that was on a UHF channel <laughs> and fiddling with the dial on the front of the TV to adjust the wavelength and then doing crazy things with the antenna so that you could maybe pick up the station that was just at the edge of the range and then you're watching the reptile for instance through just basically a snowstorm of <laughs> static and you can if you're lucky you can hear it right you guys don't have that <laughs> yeah so in comparison to that which is amazon is great amazon yes even the worst <laughs> so you can see it and maybe if enough of us see it they'll figure out how to do a burn on demand blu-ray or even a real one which would be awesome. yes check it out people you need to see this movie I mean, if you haven't, you need to see it. Yeah. That's the bottom line. If you like the Gorgon, you're going to like this one. Because yes. as we found out in the, in the beginning, <laughs> the two guys were feuding. And, yes. and one of them made the movie he wanted to make out of the other guy's movie. So chances are, if they'd gone through as, as planned, the Gorgon would have been more like the reptile and the reptile more like the Gorgon. The Gorgon right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, which explain may explain some of the confusion I always had in my in my little brain growing up about these two movies. Yep. Both worth seeing. Reptile, Gorgon, easy to see. It's on a brilliant Blu-ray. I watched it last night. The Reptile, pay the pay the ninety nine cents. Pay the three dollars. <laughs> it's worth. Roger, it. pay the two dollars. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Cary Grant's the gal, gal playing Cary Grant's mom in that film, which is North by Northwest. For those of you that didn't get the. <laughs> Didn't just yeah. get the reference. I think she was actually two years younger than Cary Grant. That's right. Yes. 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 They were playing that, but that's no. that's a great scene and a great quote. <laughs> pay, pay the two dollars. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, I want to I want to thank uh, Steve and Josh for being part of the show this time around. We talked about it at the beginning. I want to talk about it at the end. Josh's new movie is coming out. Uh, or, I'm sorry, it has come out on DVD, available from oldies.com, Theses and the Minotaur. People need to see this. It is the best that he's done to date. It's also the most recent he's done to date. Uh, <laughs> and, and Joshua and I worked on it together. I got to help. That's right. That's right. And Steve yeah. contributed a little bit to the screenplay there. Uh, watch for more news about the Indiegogo campaign to support House of the Gorgon. 
man, that one's going to be a lot of fun. I'm and then, so of course, excited. Steve can be found at sdsullivan.com or cushinghorrors.com. Follow along with what he's got going on. Yep. Josh, you don't have a website per se, but you do have a Facebook page. Is that That's right? correct. Yes. Okay. Joshua Kennedy, man of the arts. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Derek, for having for having us on. This this was the highlight of my weekend. So thank you. All, always a pleasure. It's the start of my weekend. So you know. <laughs> yeah. But we should Best way point to kick out one off. Derek right? is is two hours earlier than us. So. Oh, that's we're, right. We're, we're at where Joshua and I are at, even though we're literally thousands of miles apart. Yeah. It's uh, it's one o'clock, and at Derek's, it's still before noon. It's still eleven o'clock. Yeah, it's almost eleven. So, yep. So, you but, so I appreciate thing. you guys working with me schedule wise. I know time zones are tough sometimes, especially when I keep screwing them up. <laughs> so I, I really appreciate. Yeah, Derek had us all showing up two hours too early. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we probably should have to work through the Skype issues um, and then start on time. Yeah, no, this this was fun. This was a lot of fun. And we'll definitely have you guys back on down the Very line fun. as well, either together or separate. Lots to talk about, I'm sure. Oh, I wanted to con you into doing the Classic Five with us, but I bet you don't even have the deck with you, do you? Do you want to do a round of the Classic Five? Oh, yes, please, please, please. Oh, we please. totally do. All right, I got it right here. I got it right here. We added two decks probably since either Joshua <laughs> or I have. I've done it. You've got like three decks now, right? Uh, no, I haven't added anything, but I'm sure there's questions in here that haven't been hit on yet. Oh, I thought you had red, yellow, blue, or something. I thought you had new ones. Oh no, I thought I brought those to the bash. Well, either way. Well, yeah, but you didn't. You didn't do that with us on the show. Well, Steve wants to play the classic five, and and who? <laughs> far be it from me to deny Steve or or Josh <laughs> or anybody really. I mean, I'll pull out the monster cards. Why not? All right, so the Josh classic wants five. To do it too, don't you, Josh? I would. I I would love to. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so the Classic Five It's a game that we sometimes play for listeners who don't know And I'm sure pretty much everybody does I've got a deck of cards here Each one of these cards has a yes or no, this or that style question All relating to classic monster movies uh, There are five different categories in the Classic Five deck The general knowledge The general core deck We have uh, the red deck, which is all Hammer Films related The green deck, which is Kaiju film specific The universal deck, which is Well, exactly what you think it is And then the black deck are the deep cut, the real nerdery style type <laughs> questions, you know, the good stuff. And and I did want to pull out a hammer card or two, but the rest of it, I'm just going to shuffle the cards and let the cards lay uh, as they will. So why don't we go ahead and play the classic five? You guys ready to do this? Are you ready to embarrass ourselves? Oh, <laughs> yes. Here we go. I feel like I'm on the train in Dr. Terror's House of Horrors. Like, <laughs> read my fortune. <laughs> well, there are no right or wrong questions. Or, excuse me, there are no right or wrong answers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to pull a card from the Hammer deck first, okay? Because, I mean, we're talking about Hammer films, Reptile. Got to gotta pull something here. Here we go. Card number one, question number one for the two of you. What is your favorite Alan Gibson film, Dracula AD 1972 or The Satanic Rites of Dracula? I love both, but um, I think AD 72 is the groovier funkier which is one of the reasons it failed at the time it came out but i think it's its own little time capsule of 70s fun and you have christopher neem and caroline monroe the new stars of the new gooey film so i have to you know pay tribute to them but uh <laughs> right. no, I, I think um I, I think it is just much more fun although satanic rights is a lot more fun i the problem and my good friend dan day jr and i talk about this all the time um but uh satanic rights has that satanic scene with 
the nude woman in the like, and it takes like forty minutes for that scene to keep going. It's like how many times are we going to go back to the scene? It's it's told in flashbacks. Uh, do you know the one I'm talking about? Yes. Um, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> and um, I, I think that scene just takes too long, and finally it it picks up. But um, and there's arguments that Christopher Lee has more to do in this one, and there's arguments in AD seventy two that he's shut up in the in the the church. Which I completely agree with, but I, I I'll say eighty seventy two. Steve, what do you think? I'm going to say Satanic Rites of Dracula. Oh yeah! Oh, wow. Kind of the ideas that you just a lot of the ideas you put forward. I think mm-hmm. Christopher really has more to do. I think the interaction is a little little more interesting. He's got a really kind of cool, harkening uh, back to the weaknesses of vampires' demise at the yes. end of Satanic Rites. And I did just watch both of these. I watched the entire. Christopher Lee Dracula series during Halloween season, <laughs> which mm-hmm. would be October. So it, so it's not all really, here. <laughs> well, it, it kind of is, but but there's something extra special about watching these films in in October. And I I really again I really like them both too. Seventy two is it's it's groovy, and I as someone that grew up in that era, <laughs> you know I remember seventy two very distinctly, and it's you know it's just right but at the start of my teen years. So there's, there's a great nostalgia for it in that way. But I think the satanic rites, the story is a little more interesting. And I, I see what you're saying about that scene with the sacrifice on the altar. And I just read a, a Dennis Wheatley book the, to the devil, a daughter that has a lot of Satanism in it too. That's really kind of weird and strange and interesting. I agree that that's spaced out for a long time during the film, because as I watched it again, I was like, God, I thought we saw more of her naked on the altar. And I was like, yeah. no, no, wait 15 minutes. Let's exactly. Come it's coming. It's coming. <laughs> but at the same time, I, I think the story just holds up a little better. I think it's, it's got a little more to do, but I, yeah. I like them both as all of the Christopher Lee hammer Dracula films, I think are, are worth watching and I think are really enjoyable. But for me, Satanic Rites, I, I, I like it. I don't know. I can't explain it much beyond that. Nice. Derek? Man, it's tough. Um, I really like the closing bit of the character arc of Dracula and Satanic Rites. Really? That, yeah, I, I, not, not the death scene. I think the death scene's a little weak. You know, I, I think... The whole apocalyptic... Uh, yeah, that yeah. he's just tired of doing what he's doing, and you know, I'm going to take the world down with me, and we're done. Mm-hmm. I, there's just something kind of nihilistic about that that I like, mm-hmm. which I don't know if that says something about me or not. <laughs> Plus, yeah, <laughs> that's your that's your zombie former life coming through. Yeah, it really is. Um, and I love the confrontation uh, in the office with oh pushing God, away. Yes, yes. When, when he pulls out the little gun with the bullet that was made from melting down the silver from the crucifix. I love that. I love that interaction. Um, but there is a sense of funkiness and fun to AD 1972. So I'm right down the middle on this. If I had to pick one to watch right now, I'd probably go AD 72. Mm-hmm. But I think that's because I've seen satanic rites most more recently. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's the way I, when I'm, I do a Harryhausen watch every year on his birthday. And that's the way I determine a lot of the time what I watch on that day. It's like, well, what one have I not seen really recently out yeah. of the, that set of films? So that's always a good choice. It's tough, man, but they're, they're both good. Monroe is in 72 and she's great. Yes. And yes. it's got some fun music. The soundtrack I feel like is more fun. Oh than 72. Yes. yes. The soundtrack's Easily. a lot more fun. 
And I mean, I stole all of it for my own Dracula movie. <laughs> uh, I, basi- I basically <laughs> stored, stole Dracula AD 72 for my own movie. But um, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I have a soft spot. Isn't the score for Satanic Rites, didn't you used to use that in Down Place? Yeah. Um, theme, which I think is I think is not a not a bad theme as well. No, it's no. great music. Oh, great. It's great. Yeah, it's just, yeah. But there's just something more fun about the soundtrack to 72. It's the end of the swing in 60s, babe. Yeah. <laughs> and what's the band? What's the, the band that appears? Stone Ground. There's something about that song. It's fun. <laughs> all right. All right. Card number two. This is, a st- this is a, the core deck. Okay. All right. It, the terror from beyond space, or it conquered the world? Oh. Uh, it conquered the world. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, I, I like. It, the, I like the again, as with most of these cards, I tend to like both of the options. Yeah, and it's a terror from beyond space was literally on Comet an hour ago. <laughs> I was watching it <laughs> right before I came down here, but it conquered the world. I I love that upside down carrot top guy, and I love Lee Van Cleef and and Peter Graves and that whole Corman low budget thing going on. And it conquered the world, and the 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 monsters by Blaze Dull are fabulous, and and that I tell you that it may help that that film kind of creeped me out as a kid, mm-hmm. you know, with, with the the little the little flying bat like creatures that come and, yes. and once then they hit you, and then you're you are part of the problem. <laughs> you're no longer the solution. Mm. So yeah, for me, and it it probably. How, what, do I want to say it helps or it doesn't help? It probably is heightened for me in the fact that that's a, again, that's a film that's hard to see because it's not out in the U.S. on DVD. Yeah. So that that adds to its cachet for me. It's not on disc right now. No. It conquered the world. Oh. I don't think so. Well, that's a shame. Unless I'm talking about the wrong film. <laughs> no, no, I'm pretty sure it's not not available. That's one of the ones that um, that the the estate is mixed up in. Oh, is it it's, really? Okay. Yeah, it's one. It's like invasion of the invasion of the saucermen. Yes, I, that's right. I can never remember the woman's name that has. It's like the when somebody died, the the estate got split up, and some she got some of the film rights, and someone else got some of the other film rights. Right. Wow. Yeah, it was uh, Susan Hart. She uh, has a handful of the uh, AIP catalog. Right, and that's. It's that, and it's Teenage Frankenstein, and Teenage, Teenage Werewolf, Werewolf. And, mm-hmm. and one the, of the Colossal uh, Beasts, yeah, Invasion of the Sorcerer which are, mm-hmm. if you're listening, release them, <laughs> yeah. set them free, bring them out of the world before their you know streaming media makes everything go away. Yeah. So, so that's my answer. What about you, Joshua? Yeah, I'd, I'd have to agree with you, Steve. Um, and it's it's an, it's just an intriguing premise. I mean, as it, it, it the terror from beyond space is intriguing, but I like it, it's more thought provoking. It it conquered the world, and um, I mean the monster design is awesome, and it's kept in the shadows for the most. I mean, it comes out the last three minutes or so, if I remember correctly. We don't see it fully, right? Right. The, and uh, it's it's effective when it's in the shadows, and I mean. You can argue that it's silly when it comes out, but um, it's in the Frank Zappa, Zappa song "Cheapness," too. If you've never yes. heard that song, <laughs> it, it makes an appearance. He talks about the monster coming out of the cave, 
that yeah. you can see them pushing it on the two by four, which I don't think you can really see. But <laughs> <laughs> so that's another. It's it's in a Zappa song, man. <laughs> <laughs> and and plus, uh, it conquered the world. That I that was a Halloween costume. I made a Halloween costume like years ago for that. So it has a soft spot, soft awesome. spot on my heart. Yeah, nice. <laughs> What's this all about? What's everybody running from? It's the end of everything. What do you mean? I'm not arguing theory, General. I'm here to ask you, to beg you, to save your own world. It is the most fascinating mastermind man can conceive. A monster that can control all sources of the Earth's power. Able to pull man-made spaceships from their orbits. Making of those it chooses slaves. Of this woman, a willing handmaiden. Of the chief of police, a cold-blooded killer. Well, I've known you for five years. You just killed a man in cold blood. Why? I'll have to place you under protective custody. Peter Graves, the scientist who fought it. Beverly Garland, who believed her love stronger than it. Lee Van Cleef, whose brilliant mind was captured by it. Derek, I think you're leaning the other way. Yeah, the yeah, other way I, would. I, I love it. The Terror from Beyond Space. I love it. Yeah. it. I love the Blu-ray of it. I love the proto alienness to it. Yeah. Uh, oh, definitely. I'm a, I'm a yes. big fan of it. I like it. Conquered the world a lot, a whole lot. But man, there's mm. just something about it. The Terror from Beyond Space. I know they both had their budgetary issues. There's, there's just something about the low budgetness of Beyond Space. It gets to me nice. better. I don't know. Right. Yeah, it's a little too confined for me. The monster design is again, that's another Blaisdell design, right? Um, I, love so. yeah. mm-hmm. I love the monster design. But it's as last time I watched it, which is uh, you know, aside from seeing it this morning on Comet, I didn't see the whole thing. It it always strikes me as a little slow too. But it, again, this is you're asking about two movies that I like both of. Pick one. You know, it's like the thing you, yeah. you go to the movie theater now that they, they have a, a car commercial that's like they bring someone together with their friends and they say pick the more reliable friend <laughs> yeah <laughs> so you know all these cards are kind of like that I and argue I, both sides I'll, I'll watch either film over a cgi crap fest a modern <laughs> cgi crap fest any day yep yeah me too you know i mean there's exceptions to rules and there i mean there are great movies being made now but i mean it's just in general okay. uh right. i'll watch yeah. either of them and you, right. you, I'm pulling it out of my DVD collection right now. I'm probably going to end up watching it tonight. So thanks, Derek, <laughs> for giving me a movie to watch. <laughs> How could that thing have gotten aboard? Why? Just to kill us? What is the usual reason an intelligent creature kills? It's hungry. What makes you so certain it's intelligent, Colonel? Not just an animal. It opened the door to see compartment. the silent void of outer space, puny man matches his cunning against a monster from Mars running rampant, howling for all the flesh and blood on Earth. All right, card number three. This Oh, it's a green one, so it's kaiju. Hope you guys are feeling kaiju-y today. Kaiju-y? Uh-oh, uh-oh. uh-oh. Always. All right, other than Mechagodzilla and Mechanicong, what other kaiju should have a robotic version made of it? Oh. I'm... Just for the record, yeah. I'm not crazy about mecha versions 
of existing kaiju. Oh, come on now. Mechanicong's awesome. Mechanicong's <laughs> kind of cool. And the last, the millennial series, Mechagodzilla, I kind of got down with. But it, it always seemed to me, in some ways, like once you have to make a mecha of the original character for the series, it's like the old evil twin rule. Once you hit the <laughs> evil twin after the original Star Trek, once you hit the evil twin rule for your stories, you've run out of ideas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the mechanical version of a kaiju is the goatee of the giant monster trope. Is that what it is? <laughs> right, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's the goatee or it's the transporter accident. <laughs> of the, you know, and, and all props to Trek for having done, done that kind of idea twice really, really successfully early on. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take a minute to think, and maybe Joshua's got one right off the top of his head. This this one's difficult because I'm, I mean, the first thing that came to mind was uh, Mothra, but that's <laughs> just mm-hmm. random. Now, Mecha Mothra would be cool. There was yeah, kind of a, a metalish Mothra in one of the. It's probably one of the Mothra solo movies where she transforms. Is it really? It, yeah, into and it's. I think it goes underwater, but it looks kind of like a metal version. Ooh, well, like it's a, not a, a mecha version, but a submarine but, Mothra that would be cool. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I, that's that's what just came to. I just that looks cool in my head. Just a shiny, it can reflect the sun's rays or something. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I like yeah. it. Derek, what do you got? I'm on board. <laughs> you know, I I thought of for a moment. I thought of a a metal a mecha Yangari who comes back and kills all the people that made him bleed out from the anus at the end of his film. (laughs) (laughs) But but now I've come across something that I think might be even cooler, and that would be a mecha version of Frankenstein from (laughs) from the Frankenstein the Frankenstein movie Frankenstein Conquered the World. Yeah. Uh, Here are the seven wonders of the world rolled into one fantastic adventure. Frankenstein, born again to rule in terror, a monster unleashed to conquer all who stand in his destructive path. Frankenstein conquers the world. Spreading panic as millions flee his vengeance, Frankenstein towering over cities, defying the force of armies, the might of navies, and the fury of jets. Frankenstein, a name never equaled in the annals of terror. Frankenstein conquers the world. Stars Nick Adams as the American scientist versus Frankenstein, incarnate with the strength of a thousand men, a phenomenon such as never seen before. See Frankenstein Conquers the World, astounding on the giant screen, in color scope from American International Pictures. That would be cool. That would be cool. Just popped into my head. That would be really neat. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, I'll give you my answer here in a second. Uh, listener of the show recently uh, sent me a Blu-ray in, in a Ultraman book from Japan. And because I have the multi-region Blu-ray player, you know, I can mm-hmm. play it. Uh, they just recently put out on Blu-ray over in Japan, Frankenstein Conquest of the World and Matongo. And they're both much better transfers than anything we've ever seen here in the States. Oh, nice. and Except they're Japanese. And they have no subtitles. Oh, but you know you can, so, you can play Japanese Blu-rays in American DVD players, even if you don't have an all-region player. Really? Yeah, they're the same region as we are, except of course then you don't have the subtitles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. DVDs are different. Maybe you're right. No, it is Blu-ray. Blu-ray only has three regions. That's right. It's DVDs that are different. Either way, um, it looks pretty. It looks so pretty. Uh, you know, it's a wonderful transfer. I just and I know the movie well enough right. to get yeah. it. Yeah. Come on, but but no, McKenna. So my McKenna uh, Konged uh, Mechagodzilla version of a kaiju, and this is going to be um, inspired by a recent episode of MKR. I want a McKenna Gamera. Mm. There you go. Mm-hmm. That'd be cool. Yep. Giant metal turtle wrecking havoc, man. Let's do it's it. Still in the, yeah. in the, <laughs> the, uh, the millennial camera series, camera's an artificial construct anyway. So that's not even, right. that's not even a long stretch. I don't think. Yeah. Could be, could be awesome. But maybe. Man, that trilogy, camera trilogy film from the nineties. <laughs> 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 all right. All right. Card number four. Oh, it's a black guard. Oh, no. Uh-oh. Here we go. <laughs> now we see if I have to start typing things into my computer to know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. You know, I don't know if this is too hard or not. Favorite Mario Baba film, Black Sunday or Black Sabbath? Oh. Oh, that's a tough. That's a tough choice. Black Sabbath scared the willies out of me when I was black. I, the funny thing is I always confuse those two because the Sabbath is Sunday. <laughs> Yes, yeah, yeah. I have the exact same. <laughs> no, I have the same problem. Right. <laughs> the Sabbath is the one that's the the portmanteau film, right? Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. Black Sunday is Barbara Steele. Right. Uh, Black Sabbath is Karloff. I love that. But Black Sabbath, that scared the dickens out of me when I was young and first saw it. The the thing that scared me is the sequence with a witch. I knew it. Mm. I knew you were going to say that. Oh man. So I think just for for that reason, I'm gonna have to go with that one. The other thing is that as, as a kid, when the, before there were VCRs, even never mind DVRs or streaming, you had, so it, can I interject here, Steve? Yes. Can I interrupt you for a second, listeners? As this episode has progressed, Steve is just getting older and older and older. At some point, he's going to tell us to get off his lawn. Yeah. And- hey, get off there's of a por- my There's a portrait of Steve. Lawn. There's a portrait of Steve aging in the attic. As we, as we but, but before all, right. all that, in order to relive a movie, you had no way to do it. You could buy an, an expensive eight millimeter thing, or if you were clever, took your cassette recorder and you set it up next to the television set and you recorded the movie that you liked onto a cassette, which I remember doing with mighty Joe young when I was a kid, that that was the greatest thing in the world. But we also did it with black Sabbath, at least for part of it, because there was some reason I don't remember why, maybe it was just for fun that at the time I was working on, I was working on my Boris Karloff. (laughs) (laughs) And so I remember recording the Boris Karloff parts of that film, at least in order to work on my impression of old Boris, which is uh, maybe not aged as well as it could. (laughs) 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 So yeah, therefore all those reasons going with black Sabbath. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to agree with you with um, that, Steve. Um, and Mr. The great Troy Howarth has been slowly in, uh, his tentacles have wrapped around me and is pulling me into the Mario Bava world. Cause he's, he wrote a whole book on Mario Bava and, uh, mm-hmm. 
I hadn't been familiar with his work. And I was like, okay, Troy, I'm starting. What movie do I start with? And he said, Black Sabbath. So I started that. And just the colors alone in that film are yeah. worth the price of admission. Like, And this goes back to what we were talking about earlier with how modern films, they, they're afraid to use color. Their heads were so color graded now. And you watch Black Sabbath and you're like, this is so rich and pulsing with color and life. Go ahead. That witch sequence, it's red and green and blue. Yes. And- and, and scary as hell. <laughs> and there's, is it that one or is it, um, there's, I can't remember, and uh, Troy's going to kick me for this. There's a, a scene where there's a light flashing outside and it's just green flashing inside. I don't know if it's the phone one or there's, there's a, like a neon sign outside the woman's flat and it's just flashing green and they turn off all the lights and just green is illuminating the room. And it's just, it's very effective. And then my other, my other story is I used to have a VHS of Black Sunday that didn't have the whole movie on it. Oh. So, so for years, I never figured out. It would always frustrate me. I was like, I'm never going to watch Black Sunday. So I have that. I can't use that as an excuse, but there's always been that like thorn in my side. I've seen it, obviously, since, but um, it's always been the thorn in my side. I was like, Black Sunday. So, yeah, my vote, Black Sabbath. Do you believe in ghosts? <laughs> This is the night when fear and horror walk hand in hand. This is Black Sabbath. Starring the incomparable Boris Karloff, the personable Mark Damon, and lush and lovely women. Even though one is from the netherworld, a vampire, a burdelac. Black Sabbath, as ancient as superstition, as modern as the telephone. All right, so for me, uh, listeners know that recently I had the opportunity to introduce Black Sunday at the Lovecraft Film Festival of course. and uh, and moderate a Q&A with Barbara Steele herself, which was one of the highlights for me in terms of anything that I've had a chance to do with Monster Kid Radio involving people who were involved with the movies that we love so much. So that was amazing. And the first, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes, I guess the pre-credit sequence, uh, specifically of Black Sunday, is terrifying. The way they nail that mask to her and then nail the, nail the mask down. Oh, yeah. Oh, the sound in that and just the way the movement happens, it is, whoa, man. It's yeah. I'm literally, and I'm not using the word facetiously, or even that you're anyway, uh, literally, <laughs> I'm getting goosebumps <laughs> thinking about it. That said, there's something about Karloff. I'm always going to go to Karloff if given the opportunity to watch a Karloff or a non-Karloff film. It's always Karloff for me. And Black Sabbath is so good. Yeah. Um, neither one of you mentioned the Wordalak sequence. Right. And I love that this is probably the closest Karloff ever got to playing a vampire. Yeah. And that's kind of special to me. That segment is especially creepy, too. Yeah. It's, oh, I mean the 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 kid crying outside for his mom and just the the shot of him walking up again the lighting in that the the whole movie is just mm-hmm. fantastic. Right. But um, and the fact that Karloff's character may or may not be dead and may or may not be a vampire. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like it's 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 just Papa coming back from the fields and he's like that's not Papa. Yeah. It's. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I love Black Sunday. Don't don't get me wrong. I absolutely adore Black Sunday, and I love Barbara Steele. Uh, She show of hands here. How many people are in love 
or not in love with Barbara Steele. I see no hands not raised. So we're all in love with Barbara Steele. She's horror royalty, but she doesn't act like it. She is such a nice, genuine, warm person. My, my few times of interacting with her and then doing the Q and a with her, she was just so gracious and just awesome. And she's wonderful and she's great. So nothing against her or black Sunday, but she's queen of the monsters. She reigns supreme. She really is. And I mean, I've heard some people say she's pretty much the last one we got. Yeah. Um, I, I may be know? the one that said that. <laughs> <laughs> which which is unfortunate um, and, and a little morbid, but she's kind of the last living connection we have to a lot of these movies, right? Yeah. Um, which, she, you know, she's right up there with the, the other, her contemporaries with, you know, Lee and Cushing mm-hmm. and Price, as, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, she, taking nothing away from like, Carlson or or or, or, oh, yeah. no, no, no. or anybody like that, yeah. of course. But you know, it's Barbara Steele, who never did a Hammer film, who should have done a Hammer film. That would have been amazing. Yes. Anyway. God, anyway. She, I guess she didn't, did she? Wow. No. 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 One of them. Anyway, right. we could start talking about anyway, Barbara yeah. Steele, and and I, and I know at least one listener, Dominic Lamsey, so I'm talking to you, is like Barbara Steele, Black Sunday. But you know, I'm sorry. Yeah. Black <laughs> for me, so. We all, but we all, as a given, we all love Barbara Steele to pieces. Yep. All right, card number five, final card. Oh, yeah, I, I purposely no. pulled this from the Hammer deck. Not counting the original, what's your favorite Hammer Frankenstein film? Frankenstein created woman. Really? Yeah. Wow. And that didn't take very long for you to. Wow. Okay. You're you're in the minority, sir. No, I know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's a good film, but wow, I'm surprised. Oh. Horror. No. Oh. Horror. Stop it. Horror! <laughs> the Masters of Horror present the masterpieces of screen horror from 20th Century Fox, Frankenstein Created Woman, and The Mummy Shroud. Frankenstein, now he has created his most diabolical horror. The ultimate in evil, a beautiful woman with the soul of the devil. Then... Beware the beat of the cloth-wrapped feet. Beware the mummy shroud. The ultimate in evil. The absolute in terror from the Shockmasters. Together in the same double shock show, Frankenstein created woman and the mummy shroud in gripping, gripping color. The the cool thing about the, the Frankenstein series is... As much as I love the Christopher Lee Draculas, there are a few where it's like, okay, this, they're, they're I mean, I love, again, I'll watch them over anything modern and I'll watch them over many other films. But this, I mean, Scars of Dracula has been beaten to death online. It's towards the bottom. But I've, right. with the Frankenstein series, I think all of them, and again, I'm in the minority with this, I think all of them are solid on their own. Evil Frankenstein gets a lot of crap thrown at it, but I think it's 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 solid. So I mean, so what? Why why Frankenstein created woman, Steve? Yeah, as as a kid, a lot of this goes back to when I first saw these things. As a kid growing up, I was always a little disappointed in the monsters in the Frankenstein series after the first one. Mm-hmm. But somehow, you know, I know that created woman. He's doing different stuff in it, but I. You know, you have to love Cushing's portrayal of it. And it's it just struck me at the time, and it still strikes me as being a really interesting twist on Frankenstein trying to create life and preserve life and that kind of stuff. 
you know, it, it helps that she's a beautiful woman. And mm-hmm. I always very sympathetic to, to her and her lover who are killed is, you know, that their tragic yeah. deaths in that film get me on their side immediately. And then I am rooting for them to kill all those other sons of bitches yes. all the way through the end of the film. And it, I, I just love it. Cushing is great. And, and, uh, is it Susan Denberg? I think is the, the yes. woman. In that? It, she's mm-hmm. terrific. And, and I totally buy her as, as a beautiful, innocent with a, with a bit of a deformity. And then I totally buy her as a, uh, a seductive killer of people that wronged her. And I, yes. again, I, I cheer for her all the way through that film. It's like, no, no, don't save those people. Kill them all. And, <laughs> and, uh, Frankenstein Cray woman. That's probably my favorite Cushing entrance in any Cushing film. He's frozen and they, they yes. take him out of the, the freezer and they, they bring him back. He's like, oh, get that foul-smelling stuff away from me. He's like, oh, he's back. It's like, how cool of an entrance is that? They bring him back from the dead for, for an experiment. I, I always enjoy yes. that. Yes. Yeah, I love that, too. So that's what I, why that one for me. Good pick. Okay. I would go, I mean, the one that everyone loves is Frankenstein Must Be Destroyed, which I mm-hmm. love dearly. But just for the sake of this podcast, I'm going to go out on a limb and say Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell. Ooh. Ooh. That's the last one in the series, That's right? the last one. And it Terrence, it's, I think I want to say that's Terrence Fisher's last hurrah as a director as well really? uh, for Hammer. Yeah. Uh, they came back and made that, that final one. And I, I just it it works. They have the asylum inmates, and I've borrowed from that movie numerous times as well in my own my own stuff. Cushing is in top form, and it's it's so it's and again watching all the films in order, you're like, oh, he, this is 20 years after they made the first one, and he's still doing it. There's something about that that's uh, warms warms my heart. And uh, I don't know the the creepy asylum director is fantastic he's shaking and very freddie jones like and oh (laughs) and it's just it's so plausible that he would be in an asylum. i mean it's kind of taking from revenge of frankenstein that he was in the hospital but he would be in an asylum and just picking on the inmates for his for his pieces you know and it it, it, it's it's a great closing for me for the whole series I, i just really like it Behind this gate, cut off from the world of reality, lurks a world of madness, a world filled with brutality, a world of Frankensteins. (coughs) Dr. Frankenstein, maker of monsters, creates the most monstrous nightmare of all. (coughs) Only the most insane mind would give birth to it. Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell. Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell from Paramount Pictures, rated R, under 17, not admitted without parent. Oh man, those are both really good picks. Um, and you know, I mentioned her a second ago. I want to mention her again. Dominique, last year, uh, wrote on her 
website, the University of the Bazaar, a piece comparing Frankenstein Created Woman and Cinderella. Oh. And it's a fascinating read. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes to that so people know. Oh, please yeah, do. Yeah, definitely will. I'd love to read that. Um, let's see. But for me, you know, I'm just going to go back to uh, one, of the, one of my standbys. I love The Revenge of Frankenstein. In the year 1860, I, Baron Frankenstein, was sentenced to death on the guillotine. Why? Why had the world condemned me? Because I was the first man to create another living being. The first unnatural man. But because his brain was affected, because he could not control his animal instincts, he was hunted down and brutally murdered. But I have escaped the guillotine. And I shall avenge the death of my creation. Yeah, I mean, the first sequel, uh, I love that it picks up immediately after the end of the first film. Yeah, I like and that And in terms of the actual continuity of the character, in my head, yeah, it's the same Frankenstein. But I know that a lot of times they'll say, well, it's not the same Frankenstein. It can't be because of this or that or whatever. This is the, this is the yeah, one yeah. that is officially technically canon. And... Mm-hmm. So the evil of Frankenstein. No, the revenge of Frankenstein. Oh, the revenge of. I'm sorry, I always mix those two up. Yeah, the revenge of Frankenstein <laughs> for me. Uh, the monster itself. That's the one that starts with the yeah. guillotine falling, yeah. right? Yeah. The yes, monster itself probably not as strong as some of the others, but I just I love Frankenstein in that. I love Cushing in that. I love that he goes from Doctor Stein to Doctor Frank or the other way around, uh, and I love his little mustache at yes. the end. I love that he's building his own body uh, to put himself into. Uh, it's just great. So that's right. that for me. And it's interesting you say that Dan is probably like squirming as he's listening to this, but it's interesting you say Revenge of Frankenstein because I think that's my least favorite. Oh, really? Yeah. And it, it's been growing on me over the past few years, but I still think that's, it's, I don't, um, me personally, I, I really like when Cushing has to go out of his way and I mean, Frankenstein must be destroyed. He's like killing and, <laughs> being vicious and th- I think he's too soft and, and then th- it goes into what you were saying about Curse of Frankenstein whereas uh, he just seems too 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 kind in revenge um, okay. but that's I, but that, that's you know yeah he, well he does have compassionate moments for other people as I recall in that one and I, I the the thing one of the many things that, that irks me again love the, love the movie but we're being real nitpicky and pulling apart pulling hairs he he accepts Francis Matthews way too easily, I think. Um, but that's that's me. That's me being okay. an ass. No, he's like, like no. Francis Matthews. He's he's the assistant. He comes to work and comes to work. He's like, I I want to know your stuff. And he's like, okay, you want to oh, be my right, assistant? Right, yeah, Let yeah, me yeah. show you okay. everything I have. This is my. This is what I'm building. This is what I'm doing. It's like you're Frankenstein. You shouldn't you be? I mean, who am I? Who am I to to judge? <laughs> So that's interesting that that's your your favorite. That's very interesting. I really dig it, and I don't know. I think it's interesting that uh, this franchise offers so much. You mentioned that a second ago that you can find so many different things in this in this franchise. Uh, each one of us had a different favorite. Yeah, yeah. you know there and wasn't I, a lot of oh yeah I agree. The list you know? here, I, so. I, I, like I need to rewatch these, even though again I I'm never going to get over the fact that they <laughs> it's not Karloff. It's not the. <laughs> You don't have the continuity of the Frankenstein monster, and it's I, I love Cushing as Frankenstein is 
clearly the best Frankenstein ever. Yes. Dr. Frankenstein. Sure. I mean, I don't even, I, I love you. Colin Clive, but it's not even a close contest in, yeah. in my head. Sure. Um, but at the same time, I, I wanted more monstrous looking monsters in a lot of them. And, mm-hmm. and it, I mean, it's weird that my Frankenstein created woman is actually the opposite. He takes a woman that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Looks bad and and makes her beautiful, and I think that's one of the reasons it's my it's my favorite after the original one. Yeah. Um, but I need to look at the others. One I even watched Horror Frankenstein not too long ago, and that's the oh. one that that everyone is like, uh, <laughs> it has no cushing in it. Mm-hmm. And if you mm-hmm. can get over that, it's not that bad. And it's actually in some ways closer to the original Frankenstein story that's than true. any yes. of the others are. So. I, I was like I said. I'm looking at the list now, and I'm thinking, I I need to watch some of these and and differentiate them in my mind. I, it's like, I what happened in Evil of Frankenstein? I don't really remember, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I I know I haven't watched Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell. That was hard to get for a long while. It's on Amazon too, though now, and you can even get the DVD fairly cheaply. It's the the horror of Frankenstein, I think, is the one that's really yes. sadly difficult to obtain now. Yeah. I think I ended up paying close to thirty dollars for it, which is oh too, wow, which is too much. But it's when it's the only one you don't have in your collection. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, damn it! I've watched this for six months and it has not come down. It's uh, <laughs> it's usually forty dollars or fifty, and this is thirty, and I'm gonna buy it. So. Anyway, great answers to that question, guys. That was really interesting. Yeah, that was. That was fun. That was fun. Okay, now I need to wrap up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thanks for being uh, – well, you know, my coffee cup's empty. i got to go reload. So uh, <laughs> thanks for playing along, and thanks for being part of this episode of MKR. And, uh, yeah, like I said before, Steve said, wait a minute, wait a minute. We've got to have you guys back on. You know, we definitely yes. got to do something. Either yeah. together or separate. I'm sure there are plenty of movies we can talk about. Hey, we can do it Surely. next week, right? <laughs> same uh, bat time, same bat channel. Man, I still have a recording of the can of you uh, and I talking about Curse of the Crimson Altar, so come on. Oh my god, has that not come out yet? No. <laughs> no, really? Yeah. Are you sure? I'm positive. <laughs> Crimson Altar still in the can? It's still in the can. Wow. <laughs> okay. Hey, I still have recordings from Monster Batch I haven't put out, okay? I get well, you have Veronica Carlson talking about me that I'm dying to hear, so. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you just released a Monster Bash one last last week, week before. It was from around that time. Y'all were talking oh, yeah, about yeah, Monster yeah. Bash like it had just oh, happened. Oh, with Dan. Yeah, with yeah. Dan. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. Yep. Cushinghorrors.com. That's where you're going to find Steve's latest work. It's going to take you straight to sdsullivan.com where you're going to find everything you need. You can support his Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors on Patreon. And of course, he can support Joshua Kennedy through Indiegogo. Just head over there and look up House of the Gorgon. Of course, there will be links in the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net. The curse of the mummy's tomb. A bandage and bone monster stalking the cryptomaniacs who defiled its tomb of terror. And the Gorgon. A she-monster who turns living, screaming flesh into silent stone. 
It's a two-for-one. Monster Bazaar. Two terrific terrors for the price of one. With the never-before-offered special free bonus. Black stamps. Of your favorite monsters for the first 10,000 people in line. It's the curse. The curse of the mummy's tomb. And the gorgon. He said the gorgon. Both in petrifying color, you know. They will frighten you. Yeah. But the room was quiet. Had it been a nightmare? What woke him? Was the candle in the antique mirror moving? Was there something standing by the curtains? Was he mad? Ah! The Crimson Cult. So terrifying they won't let us tell you about it here. And on the same bill, Horror House. A nightmare combination of shock and terror. See them together for the first time. But don't see them alone. Rated GP. They have never lived before as they live now. One man has already died and the other was never born. Both exist in a world between life and death. Both long to be human. Neither can ever be. Dracula versus Frankenstein. Ten dead men's bodies were used to fashion Dr. Frankenstein's infamous creature. Tens of dozens of victims have kept Count Dracula alive for three centuries. Only one of these beings will survive their meeting. Dracula versus Frankenstein. Brand new thrills, brand new horror, brand new shock. Dracula versus Frankenstein in color, rated GP. that brings us to the end of this episode of monster kid radio as always i'm going to refer you to monsterkidradio.net to find everything you need to know about monster kid radio between episodes got everything over there contact information like our email address which is monsterkidradio at gmail.com you can also find our voicemail line over there you can call and leave us a voicemail by calling 503-479-5657 that's 503-479-5mkr we also have links to our Facebook page and our Facebook group where you can like the page, join the group, and get involved with conversations with other Monster Kid Radio listeners between episodes or even while you listen. Of course, we've got links to everything else we talk about here on the show, as well as a link to the band whose music we're going to start up here again in a second. But first, I want to tell you what's coming up next week on the show. 350 episodes. That's what we're going to hit next week. 350. I, I am blown away. I don't know how many hours of content that is. I don't care because I plan on going for at least another 350 episodes more, if not even longer. I mean, okay, eventually maybe I'll run out of classic monster movies to talk about and not so classic monster movies to talk about. But as long as there's people like Joshua Kennedy or Christopher R. Mim making new retro style movies or movies referencing these old classic or not so classic films, I think I'm going to be quote unquote in business for quite some time. You know, speaking of being in business, you know, there's no money in podcasting. I get that. I know that. But I do want to thank you for being part of our Patreon campaign. If you do support Monster Kid Radio through Patreon, thank you. Now, 
this episode is actually going to be going out while I'm out of town. So I'm not at home right now, which means I don't really have access to all of my information, the list of people who have contributed. But I want to tell you in January, starting with episode 351, wow, January 2018, starting with that, uh, we may be tweaking the Patreon uh, reward levels a little bit. And I want to kind of do something a little different. So stay tuned. That'll be coming. Uh, I appreciate people writing out the recent controversy with Patreon where they were considering charging patrons a little extra to process fees as opposed to putting that cost on the creators, which seems to make a little bit more sense, taking a fee out of what they provide us versus making you pay extra every time you do. You know, bottom line is they fixed it. So thanks to uh, Patreon for paying attention to the fans and, and the patrons, and thanks for writing out the, the waves when it comes to Patreon those of you who support Monster Kid Radio through that platform. Okay, you know what? Um, next week, Monster Kid Radio, 350. I've got a special effects artist coming on the show. Now, if you are a Facebook user and you're in the Facebook group or page, I think he posts primarily in the group, he's constantly posting pictures to something that looks a lot like King Kong, and that's by design. It's because he's working on a project involving, well... You have to come back and listen to Joseph Schultz talk about it here on Monster Kid Radio next week. Now, we're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about a movie because that's what we do here. 1955's Day the World Ended will be on deck next week. One scientist foresaw the day the world ended. There are two forms of life fighting for survival out here in this valley, and only one of them can win. I'll talk to the girls in the morning. The girls? Yes. They should bear children as soon as possible. But being a scientist, he did not consider a human emotion. No one takes my gun. Tony, look out! He did not know about the uninhibited exhibitionism of a striptease dancer. He'd forgotten about the power of love and knew nothing about the vicious force of jealousy. Nothing ever come easy to me. Don't touch me. I can't stand you. Tony, let the little girl go. But more thrilling, more exciting, more mystifying is the monster. The mutation by atomic energy, part man, part beast. Salaciously watching women as they bathe. A monster such as the eyes of man has never before seen. Killing one by one each of the few living men. Hunting out the most beautiful of the remaining women to take as his mate. Have you seen that movie yet? It's cool. I dig it a lot. Richard Denning. Hard to go wrong with Richard Denning. And directed by Roger Corman. I mean, come on. Anyway, that's coming up next week, and I can't wait to share that conversation with you. You know, when I got Joseph on Skype, he and I just started talking. Uh, I think we probably ended up gabbing for about an hour before we actually got into like a real introduction and, and into the meat of the show. And you know what? I loved it. And I can't wait to share it with you guys and gals. So uh, this episode is going out right before Christmas. If you are celebrating Christmas, Merry Christmas. If you do a different holiday this time of year, happy holidays. If it doesn't mean anything to you, then, well, happy end of December. Um, <laughs> I appreciate you being along with us uh, this year and making 2018 
awesome. Uh, we got one more episode before the end of the year. Like I said, it's the big 350. Huh. Wow. It's, that's a big one. I'm going to go contemplate that and uh, get ready for the next episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. Remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service. Mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song, Hey! <laughs> and I say it like that because it's spelled H-E-Y exclamation mark. Hey, it's from the band Coasts of Ghosts. It's on their EP that came out a couple months back called Typhoon Twist. They're a really cool surf band based out of Constance, Germany. And you can find them at coastofghosts.bandcamp.com. Look them up, book them for a gig, buy their EP, and let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. Talk to everybody next week. My name is Derek M. Cook. Ciao. Thank you.